Welcome to Movie the Musical, podcast about movies that have been turned into musicals. I'm your host, Ben K. Governor. We're in here to investigate, interrogate, and celebrate the art of action from screen to stage. <laughs> we are a podcast that loves questions. And today's question is... So now you know how it feels. Now you see, now you see what I go through on a daily basis. <laughs> this is what I have to deal with. The two of you. I, I, I mean, I think the true, the true equivalent, right, would be you doing a, a, a comedy American accent, right? It would be. That, that would yeah. be it, yes. But, uh, well, I yeah, guess yeah. the real question is, was that better or worse than what Dick Van Dyke does in this film? It, it, probably bet more consistent i would sure. say yeah more more yeah there were there were fewer vowels in in that um or fewer consonants sorry um yeah i have i have a question that i know that this is a podcast has questions i just want to if i could jump in with with another Love one please. to kick us off get us get us um, rolling how many syllables does dick van dyke think are in the name mary poppins <laughs> Well, at least seven, I would uh, presume. Because, yeah, by, by my count, it's eight. By my count, he, there's sure. eight syllables in the name Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins. Yeah, it's M-E-R-E Poppins is all the syllables. Poppins. Yeah, you're right. Why Phantom vowel. Where's his supporting actor Oscar? I'll tell you that. Well, he has a Kennedy Do you think he went through the whole script and, like, put it out in IPA? Do you think he, like, did the work, you know? He had a vocal coach. Like, he had a vocal coach who's one of the, um, he's one of the the backup singers for Super Cal. Super Cal. Wow. Love that abreve for Super Cal right there. Look, if we're going to get through an entire episode about this, I need to We can't say it very many times. Very fair. And of course, if you haven't figured that out already, um... This is the third episode of our Disney season, uh, and we are, of course, talking about the 1964 film Mary Poppins, directed by Robert Stevenson, and its subsequent musical theatre adaptation, the 2004-2006 musical theatre adaptation of the same name, with a book by Julian Fellows, uh, original music and lyrics by Richard M. Sherman and Robert B. Sherman. New music by George Stiles and new lyrics by Anthony Drew. Uh, as always, our wonderful producer and editor, Bran Moorhead, is here. Hello, Bran. Hello, everyone. Did I, I have a little bit of a cold, so if I sound like I have a cold, ding, ding, ding. It's not my yeah, fault. It's because you do. It's because yeah. I do. Um, and returning to the podcast um, to cover another musical inexplicably that opened in the 2007 Broadway season uh, after appearing on the Grey Gardens episode. Um, you know them. You love them. You should watch and subscribe to their YouTube channel. And now they sing. Uh, the brilliant Zach Barr is back. <laughs> Thank you for having me back. Um, I think I literally at the end of the Grey Gardens episode, I think I teased like, uh, ooh, I, I, I certainly have an opinion on what I think the best Disney musical is. And well, that that was some good planting and payoff, friends. <laughs> I certainly set myself up for that one. You're here. Here we are. It's a <laughs> here we are for the Mary it's, Poppins. It's episode. a bold claim in the in the top half. Of this season, you are you are planting that flag, proud and true, uh, for this I'm, adaptation. I, I, 
it's interesting because I know the two that I'm going to be pre- obviously we're going in, in premiere order, so I know the two that will be preceding me, but I don't know what they've said. <laughs> but um, but I still, I mean, I'm I'm I have a case to make today, so I'm, I'm excited <laughs> for this. So yeah, and so. Do you mean just best in terms of just overall being a musical or best adaptation? We're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. Okay. Okay. I'm sure Brett, yeah, I'm, I would like, I'm going to make the assumption. Just, that's just, I did not expect to come into that with this energy. This is great. <laughs> so, yeah. Fascinating. So, yeah. And so I will say for those uh, at home poking holes that Tarzan did technically open on Broadway a few months before Mary Poppins did... This premiered in London two years before that. It was in the Disney theatrical production's canon, with one N, C-A-N-O-N, before Tarzan hit Broadway. So that's why we're doing it in this order, you nerds. Um, But yes, we started off talking about Beauty and the Beast, which was a pretty uh, direct adaptation. It was pretty much just, let's take this movie and put it on stage, and there it is, and let's make our money. And then we followed that with The Lion King, which was, of course, hey, let's let Julie Taymor create this uh, extremely stylized, uh, culturally specific uh, adaptation with puppetry and uh, overt theatrical interpretation uh, that was also a hit, but for different reasons. And now we come to uh, Mary Poppins, which is a little bit of both? Ish, it is, but it is both a tribute to its original film and kind of a "we're sorry" to the P.L. Travers estates. I suppose <laughs> that's kind of what it is, and we'll obviously get into the we'll get into the Travers of it all. But it, yeah, it, oh yeah, we're gonna get into the Travers of it all. <laughs> it's there is let, all I'm gonna tease at this point is that there is a really specific reason this thing premiered in London and not on Broadway. Yes, so it, we're gonna get into there that. is, and it's very exciting. But yeah, so it is it is fascinating to sort of look at, and again, yeah, like in the trajectory of things. They took some time. Lion King came out in 1998, uh, and then this, yeah, it, it took a good like, like six was it 90, years. Was it 97? I it was 97. Whatever, 90, yeah, the 98 season. Whatever, yeah. Around there, around there. Around there, 97, 98, um, and then, yeah, this comes like six years later, and it's not even an animated film. It's You would think mm. that like they would be like, all right, great, so we got Beauty and the Beast, we got Lion King, what else? And I will say... They did do the Hunchback musical in Germany in 99. So it's not like they... Whoa. Which, of course, we'll get to later in in this season. But so, yeah, it's not like... uh, It's not like they weren't experimenting with other works right now. But at least Mm -hmm. when it comes to, like, the West End and Broadway, um, there was, I guess... You know, Beauty and the Beast and Lion King, they are cash cows in and of themselves. I guess they didn't really need to have another show until old Mary flew down from the skies of London carrying her talking parrot umbrella. And Cameron McIntosh on her back. Yes, exactly. Straight to the bank. <laughs> so let- if you're talking about... If you're talking about uh, musicals produced by Disney, then technically there is there was a third one on Broadway. This is the fourth right, one on Broadway right, because course, we have we cannot forget I, Elton John's Aida. Aida, of course. How could I forget? Yeah, it, is, it is weird because yes. yeah, that is of course the one Disney theatrical productions we're not going to cover because it's not based on mm-hmm. a movie. Uh, but yes, they did yeah. inexplicably uh, create this 
musical Aida, which again, I don't know a lot about. I've never seen it. As no, I haven't done any research on it because again, we're <laughs> not covering it. So it's not an adaptation from a film. There are Disney theatrical is also if for the for the people listening at home. <laughs> Disney theatrical is also the producers of um, uh, Peter and the Starcatcher. Sure, uh, the Broadway production sure, of that. Sure, sure. And inexplicably, they were the team behind the Shakespeare in Love stage adaptation. They were. They Great. were, but again, that's not a musical, so we're not. But it's not a. <laughs> it's they're not adapt- adapted from films, which is so. which is weird because the Chicago Shakespeare production had music by Neil Bartram, who like hmm. who is now writing songs for the Bed Knobs and Bo- Broomsticks stage adaptation. Hmm. Oh, so man. it is kind of I what I know. Speaking of Bed Knobs <laughs> and Broomsticks, that film was directed by the director of Mary Poppins, Robert Stevenson. So let's go back. It almost feels in many ways like a spiritual sequel to Mary Poppins. <laughs> Honestly. It's, it's British, it's got musicals, it's got some very star actors in it. It's I, um, I know Doing some tricks, doing some magic it's tricks. Precocious children. It's got the yeah. same actor who plays Mr. Banks in it as well. Oh, that's right. Um, that's but right. anyway, 1964 um, mm-hmm. And the years preceding it, uh, P.L. Travers uh, writes a series of books about a lovely British nanny named Mary Poppins. Um, Walt Disney and and his kids, his daughters, love these books, and they're like, "Daddy, please make." I said, they're not British, whatever. But they're like, <laughs> I don't know why you went to the most American <laughs> filmmaker I can think of. <laughs> this was given some English kids. Yeah, Daddy, please make us a Mary Poppins film, please. Um, so, but P.L. Travers was like, I mean, so there's a movie. There's a movie called Saving Mr. Banks, which is mm-hmm. uh, a I don't know. It's it's. Disney's like snuff film. It's like Disney's like mass. <laughs> it's like it's like Disney jerking itself off for two hours. I'm fascinated that that's what you refer to it as. Not that I 100 percent disagree, but it's just I love the phrasing. It's just like it's Disney just being like, look how great we are. Look how wonderful we were to the P.L. Travers estate, aren't we? It is a fantastic piece of historic revisionism, um, because I like I will. I mean, I will say good on them for like even like dramatizing the actual tension that there that there was between Walt Disney and P.L. Travers. But from what I have uh, heard, she was not a fan of the movie at the end of the day. Like, she did not like Mary Poppins, like, upon release. Um, and obviously we'll get into sort of her stipulations upon a stage adaptation. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just fascinating that, like, that film ends with her essentially, like, this film is a love letter to my father. And it's like, I don't think that's what she really thought of the movie. Hmm. I, I don't know, Zach, if you... She's still alive? She died in the late 90s. Um, she... Uh, 96. She lived to 96. Mm-hmm. Um, Zach, I don't know if you, if you disagree with that assessment of Saving Mr. Banks. I don't agree with all... I, I don't disagree with all of it. I did... It was... I'll, I'll mention as a, as a framing that I... You emailed me with, like, here's the things that you should research and look into in order to do this. Obviously, watch the movie and things. Um, and I think I sent back uh, Saving Mr. Banks yes, as another thing that yes, we should consider in this conversation. Yes, that was your recommendation, yes. Um, and I didn't... I very distinctly did not do the, the sequel uh, from 2018. Sure. Um, which we... We don't need to talk about because it's not relevant to this. But no. the thing about Saving Mr. Banks is that I'm, I I have a very conflicted relationship with that movie because I think that it is both a, a deeply problematic like hit piece on P.L. Travers in in basically I mean it is a piece of historical revisionism of saying that like um, that she you know ultimately came down in favor of the film. But I think what I in rewatching it for this I 
I find myself being more drawn to it thematically. Sure. Because I don't, I disagree with the notion that the ending is her like fully accepting the movie. Sure. Because the final, the final scene is her crying in the theater. And then Walt Disney like leans into her and is like, yeah, you're liking the movie, right? And she's like, no, it's just nothing. It's nothing like my books. Like, you know, I don't think sure. that it's necessary. Yeah, clearly the framing of the movie from Disney is intending to be like, oh, look, we won her over in the end. And she does have quotes from as late as like the 80s where she's basically like, look, the movie is nothing like my books, but it is a good movie. Sure. But it's nothing like my books. It got a best picture uh, nomination. It did. It's the only. Wow. It's the only live action. No, it's the first Disney live action Disney film to get a best picture nomination. Yeah. Um, but I did, I think that the movie's taking it outside of its meta text of the Disney company should not have been the one to make that movie. <laughs> yes. It should have been someone with more neutrality. <laughs> I do think that the story of like the story it tells of like what is it the the meta text for the whole of Mary Poppins for me, which is the same between the, the original movie and that one, is basically like how do you emotionally deal with the fact that like selling your IP to a ruthless capitalist who's going to make this like product out of it can still result in a product that is as good as the movie sure. because ultimately like as bad as the system was and as much as it totally beat her down it resulted in maybe one of the most joyful movie musicals that like has given like so much to a generation and i think that 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 to me is what i read in that final cry scene from her she's going well fuck like my I, I lost everything, but look what other people are getting out of it. I don't know how to deal with that. Um, I don't understand why they added so much of the father's subplot. That I movie, know. That's a separate I mean, part such, of me criticizing the movie. But, it's such a different movie, the fucking the flashback the, sequences. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting. The reason I had it on the list of like things to consider is because I do think that like that angle of like Mary Poppins as like taking this woman's story and converting into something that is in many ways disrespectful to her but still manages to create something that is like very joyful and that there is a lot of happiness that people get out of it. I think that that, that tension, which isn't necessarily an endorsement of either, that is what's interesting to me about this, especially as we come into Disney adapting it in 2004 for the stage. Um, for sure. But I, as a, as a setup for what we're, for where we're going on this, <laughs> and I find it to be a movie worth at least discussing, if not endorsing. And speaking of so. tension, I believe I I guess this is where the gauntlets is going to be thrown down because from what I can gather from at least from what I from Zach where I think you sit and from Brian where I think you sit and where I know <laughs> I sit from what I understand I think all three of us have very different opinions of this movie. I I think mm-hmm. I think we're going to have to launch into that. Um yeah. I think and again everyone correct me if I'm wrong. Zach, from what I can tell, uh you love this movie, you think it is a joyous film um and it is just a wonderful good time. Uh Bran from what uh, and you actually correct me if I'm wrong there. Zach, sorry, Zach. Oh yeah, me. Yeah. Um sorry. Uh, I, I agree with all the adjectives you said. That's not the whole of my opinion on this movie. Okay. Um, okay. I think that it, the thing that's interesting to me about this movie as a setup is that going off of what you said earlier is that there was like the gap between the stage version of beating the beast from screen to stage was like three years. And the gap for Lion King was like three or four years. The gap for Mary Poppins was 40 years. Sure. And yes. not only that, but it remains to this day, the oldest film Disney has adapted for the stage for Broadway. Yeah. And I think that it's it's interesting, interesting to compare trivia. it because yeah, it's it's an interesting thing to compare because like musicals just were a different thing in 1964, and so right. I feel like sure. 
judging it on the grounds of what it was for a 1964 musical, I think that it's quite successful because it doesn't, it isn't, I don't require, like I'm willing to, to forgive it on a lot of things regarding like economy of, of scene work and like all the scenes tying oh, into a thematic boy. narrative. Like <laughs> there's a lot of things in this musical that I recognize are, are not like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand here and argue that this musical, this film is the best written movie. Sure. Um, sure. But I Thank think God. that, it, I think that, it, oh, don't believe me. I'm not going to come in and try to defend that. But, um, but I do think that the pieces, like the pieces that work in this movie work. And I understand why, it has such emotional resonance for people for because sure. it is a very like sure emotionally driven movie more than it is a narratively driven movie. Yes, it is very it is um, very epi- it's episodic. It's a very it's sort yeah, of it's episodic. And that's the thing like we don't have to do and I don't want to dwell on Mary Poppins Returns the 2018 reboot slash sequel um that is essentially like a carbon copy it it, it is it is following the same episodic structure um in a lot of it it has more of a through line but it is definitely like oh the meryl streep sequence is the is the uncle albert sequence and like there are like Mm -hmm. there are perfect analogs in the 2018 sequel to the original 64 mary poppins um but Either way, Bran, from what uh, we've been texting over the past few days, you're not the biggest fan of this movie. <laughs> I, I I wasn't a huge fan as a kid. I will be honest. This was one that like was never what I was choosing out of the VHS like sure. pile to throw on. But um, uh, on this watch, yeah, I just don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> and I find Mary herself to be a like, despicable character <laughs> like i don't think she's like so unlikable and mean and snooty like what which the fuck so, i never which, caught that I, as much as a kid so, but she's so these snooty are such weird adjectives to throw on fucking julie andrews of all people dear lady gaga thank you for that wonderful tribute oh my god i know she's so not likable she's i mean she looks beautiful she does really well but like everywhere out of her mouth i'm like well that was which is so which is so funny because i if i believe the whole thing was that like they she's sort of sterner in the book like that was sort of pl travis's whole thing was that the character of mary poppins like they disney-fied her for the film so i don't and i even Mm -hmm. think that they are truer to the character from the novel in the stage adaptation uh rather than the film so that it is that is interesting to but I don't know, maybe like the stage adaptation, they just like also put in work of actually like developing her as a sure. character more than just like an authoritarian nanny. <laughs> sure. And like uh, also in like their relationship. I mean, you see more things than just be like, wow, now we're dancing with cartoons. Like that's the whole basis of her and the children's <laughs> sure. relationship. You know, it's like mm-hmm. just going from event to event and like thin like making fun of poor people you know sure. hey like, <laughs> so glasses it is there is a very interesting class analysis uh there's there such interesting sociopolitical themes in in both in yeah. the film and this at stage show actually oh yeah um it's the st- it doesn't know it's not like doing anything with them but they are certainly there you know well the stage show is all about uh as long as your capitalism is rooted in something good then it's good capitalism as long as it isn't baseless capitalism um and it was i also i I mean i'm sad that they sort of removed the suffragette element from the stage adaptation um but in the movie it almost seems like at the end she's like uh, mary poppins is basically like you got to give up that shit and take care of your kids (laughs) lady like 
I'm, I'm so sad that they Swim removed the plot vital. I'm so mad they removed the plot vital suffragette song from the movie. It <laughs> yeah. does so much for the character yeah, of the mom seriously. who then proceeds to sit and listen to the dad talk and um, hide no, her suffragette banner from her husband. No disrespect uh, to oh god, what's her name? I just I just thought Glennis Johns. Johns yeah, Glennis Johns. Great. Uh, who One I think she's the best part Yeah. She and David Tomlinson sell the parents in the oh, movie. Yeah. Like this, yes. this is another thing. This is a thing that I find is interesting to compare against is that like with the film, we can talk about the actors. Sure. And the actors, yes. like their performances are captured. And I think they do a lot of the heavy lifting on the fact that the script is very light in the film. Sure. Like there's not there's a lot that's like not said and a lot that's just done through the reactions of the characters. And you can't like not that you can't have that in a stage show obviously you can but it's not something that we're going to be able to discuss in this context because we're basing it off the script sure. and what productions of the stage show we will see which i can talk about when we get into talking <laughs> sure. about the stage show. um and, yeah. I will, and, and I, what's yeah. your opinion on the movie it is weird uh no like it is <laughs> like i mean i think i think i wrote this somewhere like i think it's chaotic neutral for me honestly i think it's just like mm, sure. that's good I, put it. well so like Walt Disney uh, considered this like his crowning li- his his life's work. This was his like live action mm-hmm. like crowning achievement, um, and I can see that it is a it is a gargantuan epic. It is it has got live action and animation. It's got sweeping sets, big musical numbers, uh, again, animatronic like, animals. It's like an- every aspect of his interests and talents, truly. I mean, yeah, there's like it is, those animatronic yeah. animals and all the magic tricks is very theme park, you know? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, it just, is- it's the only... Th- the only thing it's missing is a train. Like, sure, yeah. totally, totally, no trains. Honest, but like honestly, like if it's not the best Walt Disney film, it is the most Walt Disney film. And I obviously, okay. <laughs> I got, I gotta give it up for that. There is a lot yeah. going on in this film, and I think in films that are the most, there is still like things that you can attach to, like you sort of were alluding to, Zach. Mm-hmm. There is like emotional stuff. There is like design stuff. Yeah. There is like. There's so much happening that you'll clearly be able to hook onto something and you can sort of like anchor yourself with whatever you relate to the most. And that's, I guess that is a plus of the film. Yeah, it it really falls down the middle for me. I don't, like, again, like, it is, it's a lot for a two hour and 20 minute film. Like, my goodness. Too long. Always my complaint with everything but is too I, long. I honestly, but there's a lot of shit. It's not necessarily boring well, and for that's, being I mean, so long. That's the thing. And also, I will say this is one of the only films where I kind of wish there was an intermission. Uh, like, yes, it, 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 I think that actually would have also served, like, to the prestige of the thing if there was an intermission. Yeah. Uh, it's also it's uh, comparing that it's interesting because this movie like really came at what was at the at the time like the tail end of big like studio musicals at this time because that was like a thing in the 50s and by the time it got to the 60s like you had big like camelot flopped real hard and like actually i think that came after sorry but um there were like a bunch of flops in like the early 60s where people were like okay maybe we should stop Maybe we should stop doing big studio musicals. And then, like, one after another, like, This and My Fair Lady came out the same year, and then Sound of Music comes out the next year. Yeah. And Disney's like, and everyone's like, oh, I guess we're still doing musicals. And then they all, well, not all of them, but a lot of them, majority of them were really bad after this. It's interesting interesting to compare it to what was on Broadway around this time, because it starts scaling down so much. You know, you Mm -hmm. get... 
the Psychomans and you get the, um, oh my God, we've talked about like four of them, applause. You get all of these like yeah. companies, not just it's pretty close around the corner that like, and Sondheim kind of not, I don't want to say he brings the scale down, but they just feel they, they don't, they don't have that same grandiosity as like Absolutely. classic Hollywood musicals. Well, yeah, we're moving into the smaller. contemporary, uh, we're getting yeah. into the contemporary, uh, we're getting hair and company and stuff. It's, yeah. it is interesting. It really feels like. I mean, the, calling it the most Disney really does feel like an accurate yeah, summation. Great... Not not just because of the fact that it's all of his things, but it really does feel like this was the last time that Disney was really going to make a movie like this because they do have a movie that like because uh, what uh, wait, what did we just say was the oh Bedknobs and Broomsticks like yeah. that's that's sort of a spiritual successor, but the real movie that came after this that was like Disney trying to make the Mary Poppins lightning strike twice was uh, the Happiest Millionaire. Which, sure. if you've which never heard show, of it, which, which because it's sh- not a very good movie. Yeah, well, and the Sherman Brothers, I believe, wrote music for that too. They did. Yeah. Yes, they did. It's like it's you can tell you can carve it like layers and just go like, well, there's where they're trying to make the the magic hit, yeah. and it just doesn't land. Well, I mean, I'll Chitty Chitty Bang Bang yeah. before or after this? Oh, that's that's not Disney. I mean, it's not, but oh, just right? in general, uh, it's not Disney. Uh, the Sherman Brothers did write uh, the songs for that, but it is not. Is it Disney yeah. now? I don't believe so. That was Ooh, so, so that was sixty eight. That was four years oh, okay. old. Four years later. Um, oh, actually, that is a very interesting question. If it was a Fox, so film. you're right. That is that is a hundred percent. Like down to stealing one of their lead actors. That is the same <laughs> yeah. attempt to do a Mary Poppins. I'm, it's not. Um, it's because uh, it's United Artists, and they they were bought out by MGM. So Disney doesn't have Chitty oh. Chitty Bang Bang. Okay, yet. so they're it's owned by Amazon <laughs> now. Yeah, now Amazon just bought it. Jesus then. Christ. Yeah, Jeff Bezos has um, our favorite space. <laughs> Uh, penis love now yeah. owns. Yeah, he's um, gonna fly. He's gonna fly that favorite celestial gonna, dick. He's gonna fly that yeah. car to the moon. Uh, yeah. So, and I will say, yeah. Walt Disney. Did- what about a? What if they made a remake? Sorry. <laughs> no, what if they made a remake of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, where instead of the car, it's just Jeff Bezos' space penis? No, yeah. it's a Tesla. Yeah. Obviously, My it's gosh. a Tesla. Yeah, fucking Bo, in the new one. Bo Burnham can write the fucking songs for it. All right. Yeah, uh, great. So, uh, and I'll say, Walt Disney, of course, couldn't make another film uh, like this because uh, he dies two years later. He dies. Two years yeah, later. That is fuck. Yes. Um, so yeah, this was literally like his final. This was essentially his swan song. Obviously, other stuff came out yeah. afterwards, but this was kind of his sure. final artistic statement, if you will. Um, Rust but, and I mean, piss, yeah. Walt. <laughs> Uh, you're right. Um, Not that you yes. have any opinion on the matter. <laughs> no, absolutely. But I, I will say, yeah, the Sherman Brothers. So the Sherman Brothers were essentially sort of the in-house composers. They they fucking wrote It's a Small World. It's like a they, small world. Crazy. It is. It is. I mean, it is one of the most addictive songs uh, ever. Good it's like on up you. there with the birthday song in like prevalence, I would Honestly, say. Honestly, right? Yes, I would yeah. say so. They won. They won two Oscars for this film. They won original score and they won original song for uh, actually for Chim Chimmery, which I don't know if like of the songs. I think it's the best one in there. It's it's a little creepy. It's got a little sort of a creepy yeah, air to I like it, it, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I would if we're going for creepy best best song. If you're going for best song in this movie, and even if you want to narrow it down to best creepy song in this movie, I would have gone for Feed the Birds. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So, Terrifying. Which, which, as I think the legend often says, was Walt's favorite song from this movie. And for the remaining two years of his life, he could just call up the Sherman Brothers and be like, play it. And they would, just, without even saying the song, 
They wouldn't Good know to Lord. play that song because he loves that song. That's a Mr. Burns shit. Jesus Christ, what a fucking win. Oh, and actually, speaking of, I you didn't uh, tell us to do this, Zach, but I of course had to watch. Uh, super califragilistic expialidocious <laughs> the Simpsons episode, oh, the Simpsons yes, episode. with yeah. Sherry Bobbins, uh, which is I'll Sherry say Bobbins. I saw that episode of the Simpsons before I ever saw this movie. Um, this wow, this was not a thing. I grew up with the Simpsons. I did not really grow up with the live action uh, Disney films. I was really mainly into animated stuff as a kid. So obviously, mm-hmm. I mainly watched the animated Disney films. I mainly watched the Simpsons. And and so I just happened upon this and I was like, yeah, I feel like I've heard of Mary Poppins. Uh, I guess this tracks. <laughs> um, but yeah, watch that episode last night. Holds up. It's great. Very funny. It's yeah, a very funny it episode. I like it's really weird now watching The Simpsons on Disney Plus when she's like, he's like, don't you mean? Oh, look, it's Mary Pop. And he, she's like, no, no, not nothing affiliated with Mary Poppins or anything from the Disney Corporation. <laughs> now they're owned by them. Very strange. But I know. It's it fun to make. It's it's great to poke fun at your overlords, isn't it, folks? Uh, yeah. Either way. We um, love corporate mergers. Anyway. <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah. So essentially um, it's interesting because. Yeah, I would say that, like, Mary Poppins, the movie, and the stage show are kind of different objects in their own way, right? Like, the film is this grandiose, episodic musical, um, and then the stage show kind of, like, has a little bit more of a plot. And it's interesting, like, there are so- obviously... We'll get into the sort of the new composers they brought on. But there are new songs for the stage show. But there are also songs in the movie that they actually don't really bring over to uh to the stage show. It's obviously Sister Suffragette. Um Mrs. Banks doesn't give a shit about women's rights, so she doesn't get that song uh anymore. <laughs> I, um, okay, I, you're making I, a bit know, of a leap there. No, I made a joke, Zach. It goes along with <laughs> one of our themes though, which is like any progressive woman sure. character in the movie is less progressive <laughs> on Broadway or like less pushing the boundaries. And, and it's very is she, strange. Is she, is she less progressive in the musical? We can know. argue that. Like, <laughs> we can argue that point when we get to that point. But um, but yeah, because I I anyway. We'll but yeah, like we'll the, we'll but, and obviously the whole Uncle Albert character is removed from the stage show. Hard to make. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Ed. Yeah. Art Whatever. I love Ed. <laughs> I love Ed Wynn. I think that guy's fucking great. I think it is great work in this movie. I think the funniest thing about that scene, I mean, in addition to the, it's just he's a great actor, is that he. If you watch it back, he's not doing any accent whatsoever. No, like I don't not know if they even I don't know if they asked him like, "Hey, could you maybe do this in English?" and he was just kind of like, "No, I'm going to do it in my Edwin voice." Because because I'm preposterous. I love to laugh. He's great. Yeah. He's a good guy. He's the Mad Hatter. Edwin, he's great. Um, he is the he is Mad Hatter. Yeah, he's he's God, he's a weirdo. Um but and, and I will say, you know, like, listen, we give we Dyke shit because his accent is bad, but like, oh, but everything else he does in this movie is excellent. So, yes. Like he moves like no one else. Amazing. Like he's. I you mean, know who he really reminded me of in a lot of moments in both his like body language and especially in like sometimes he gives those big eyebrows and faces who? is like Jim Carrey sure. had to watch this movie so much as a kid. Sure. Like mm-hmm. he is just rubber faced in the same way. You know what I mean? And like directing your eye with the angle of his eyebrow, you know, very, but the way he, yeah, the way he walks and saunters, it's great. Yeah. Hypnotic even. Yeah. No, like it's also, it's, 
when they were doing casting for it, obviously P.L. Travers, P.L. Travers' first demand was that they do all British actors, which they ended up not doing. Yeah. Um, but one of the actors that she suggested for, for Bert was, um, Ron Moody, who would go on to oh. be Fagin in the Oliver movie, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is like a very different Bert, but I honestly kind of wish, like, I wish we'd gotten both sure. somehow because his version <laughs> sure. of Bert would have been like a lot more, I don't know. He just like Dick Van Dyke is all legs and I feel like yes. Ron Moody's all fingers. Like, <laughs> okay. A very different way of going about it. I mean, but, um, that's, I mean, obviously yeah. when you get to stage adaptations, um, obviously Gavin Lee, uh, would play birds and yes. that man i mean if we're talking about actors who are all legs uh mr yeah you Squ- may you may know our our favorite squidward <laughs> yeah, actor yes yeah. exactly um and he, he was tony nominated tony nominated for playing birds as well um dancing yeah. on the ceiling and tony nominated for playing one should have won he was robbed he sh- he, he was on it the, the year a, a small side note because i don't really want to talk about Tony sure. that much the year where SpongeBob was up against Band's Visit, and it was very, it was basically Ariel Stachel versus Gavin Lee for Best Supporting Actor. I think that might be the most torn I've been over an acting award for a very long time. Because to be clear, I think that they made the right decision, sure. but man, I wish they'd given something to Gavin Lee because his his version of Squidward was actually like kind of endearing. I mean, this, I mean, but, same um, with Ethan Slater and Tony Shalhoub in that lead actor category. Well, that one, that one should have just gone to sure, Ethan yeah, Slater because. The, the man's a yeah, great sponge. But anyway, I'm not getting... We're not getting into Tony Hot No Tony here. Talk. No um, Tony Talk on this episode. We're not. Maybe, whatever. Maybe later. We'll see. Uh, Probably yeah, at Maybe end. at the end. But, um, yeah, it's... So, Julie Andrews, uh, who is also... I think she's great. I think she is very good. Clearly, if she was able to draw the ire of one Brand Moorhead, she was clearly giving a good <laughs> performance. Because she is... No, she's great. I think her character's just written sure. hatefully. Uh, like, she does really well And so, with and so obviously, oh the whole God. thing is, um, they did not bring her on to do the My Fair Lady movie, which I'm pretty sure she was not thrilled about. Uh, they got Audrey... Don't know why. Yeah, I wonder why. Why would she be mad? She'd be mad about that. Why. Yeah. No, there's, there's something to the fact that she, first of all, she was approached for doing this movie, and she literally said, like, wait until I find out about My Fair Lady. And then the day <laughs> after they cast um, Audrey Hepburn instead, she was like, all right, put me in the nanny outfit. Let's go. Like, Well, actually, no, she didn't. She, she yeah, didn't. Do, she, was, she wasn't let's she was go pregnant. because she was pregnant. She was pregnant with uh, right. the, the costume designer, Tony Walton. Um, and so they literally held production until she had her baby and then she could go into doing the show yeah. or doing the movie. Yeah, which again, um, so as well, so she she wins the Oscar for Best Actress for this. Um, <laughs> the, but obviously My Fair, My Fair Lady wins the Oscar for Best Picture this year. Um, yeah. Audrey Hepburn yes. isn't even nominated for Best Actress. Rude, honestly. Yeah, it's. I mean, yeah. that's what she. And then, then, yeah, then literally the next year is Sound of Music. Um, what a yeah. fucking double header for Julie Andrews. My goodness. Seriously. There is a there's a fun vocal connection between the two actually because first of all, I'll, I'll mention before I forget it that um, uh, Julie Andrews winning best best actress for this one of the only actresses to win best actress for her screen debut. Was this um, really this her screen wow. debut? This is her screen because she Walt Disney. Walt Disney found her because she was the reason he learned about Julie Andrews in the first place was because she was doing a television appearance for Camelot, which she was okay. on Broadway in, wow. and that's how he learned who she was. Um, and then the other the other fun connection is that uh, obviously Audrey Hepburn had her voice dubbed for uh, My yep. Fair Lady, 
uh, with with noted dubbing performer Marty mm-hmm. Nixon, um, mm-hmm. who would later go on to be the geese in the Jolly Holiday sequence in this movie. Oh. <laughs> I don't think she's credited for it, but she does play the geese. All the geese, and they're they're singing in a group. That's her dubbing it over. I will, and over. Say, I will say that huh. the whole animated sequence is very fun. It is it is a very joyous mm-hmm. and sort of memorable. I mean, there's just such mem- too long. <laughs> okay, sure. I'm gonna say that a lot, but like when the penguins come in and like they take his order and then immediately start dancing. First of all, they never bring tea. What the hell, penguins? Can't trust penguins. Penguin wait staff. But like that's like at minute ten of that sequence. You know what I mean? Sure. Just like okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. I listen. Was this the first live act? No, obviously this wasn't the first live action animated. But no, this was not. The first time Disney did live action mixing is actually they did it in 1941 wow. or 42. I'm getting the year wrong because oh, it, it was oh, in it Three um, Caballeros. I think it was actually Saludos gotcha. Amigos, which is the movie that preceded it. Wow. Although it might, have, it was one of the two, gotcha. but um, because it's also in it's also in Three Caballeros. But it's actually fun fact because it's on Disney Plus. So go sure. check it out, listeners. <laughs> um, Saludos Amigos has some, and and Three Caballeros have some like really impressive live action and animation mixing. Yeah. Like for the time period yeah. that they were doing it, it's very good. But certainly this was the first time that they did like, cause that was still the, the, the Salutas Amigos one is like, it's Donald Duck on a live action actor and background. Sure. This, I believe might've been the first time that Disney had done aside from like the Alice comedies, if you want to go all the way back yeah. to the twenties, but like this was certainly the first large scale sequence they'd done where the only live action element was the sure. performer and everything else for the most part, was it's, it's, it look? I mean, I think it looks pretty good. Obviously, again, it looks really good. Yeah, like yeah, it's it's very well yeah. done. And the way that they, I think they do a really good job of like, because one thing that you know, movies like Who Framed Roger Rabbit really nail. Like the thing that really sells the illusion is like the actors knowing where yes. to look. And yes. I feel like there's never a there's never a moment in the sequence in which the actors are not selling the fact that they are dancing with these yeah. penguins and like interacting with the the different people in the animation sequence and everything. One of the other things that they nail so interestingly is the floor, like the ground, because they're dancing in a lot of these sequences. So we Mm -hmm. see their full body. And obviously this is not green screen. Like we know it now. And they're, they're dancing. Like they've matched like the set dress, the set dressing of the grass or, or when they're in the park on the brick or whatever, it's really hard to see even in 4k (laughs) on Disney plus, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to see those seams where the floor meets the like rear projection screen or whatever it is they're using. Well, there's that moment where they're like riding the carousel horses and like the poles of the horse, like dig into the ground. Digging in the ground. ground. And that's like the reverse of that. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. It's It's very smart. Again, there's a lot happening cool. in this movie. Yeah. Like I cannot, like it cannot be dis- so much imagineering. On a, well, there you go. Hashtag imagineering. Good on you. Uh, but no, like I feel like I don't think it. I don't think anyone, even if you don't like it, I feel like you can't throw this thing out. There's just like oh, no. so much going on. Um, I will say there are some green screen, live action green screen effects that uh. Don't hold up. Uh, there's like a scene where like the kids are like running away, like after they've run out of the bank. I love how Michael fucking like pretty much breaks the bank by trying to get his tuppence oh, <laughs> back. Trying to get his tuppence back. I mean, if we want to talk about like social commentary within the movie, the whole idea that a single child not wanting to invest causes a bank run is really funny. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. It's also like it's mostly funny. accurate, I would yeah. say, like in today, like, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's it's a really fantastic sequence. And the idea that like that is the thing that makes the dad like because I I like I mean we can talk about the difference between the bank conflicts and the musical movies. Yeah. They're very, very different, different, but like I like that it's. 
the fact that it's directly caused by the sun in the movie is a really interesting take because then it becomes like more about like it's it's less of a, a personal slight on Mr. Banks and it's more like you can't control your exactly, son yeah. like you can't yeah. it's much more about him being a father um in the movie Absolutely. a child played by right. a 40 year old uh, Ron Howard um, <laughs> that's who he looks like to me he looks like an old man yeah there is a little bit of a Ron Howard thing and also and again like Dick Van Dyke maybe not the best Cockney accent in the world he's very fun as uh, the old banker as well yeah Mr. Mr. Yeah, it's a and he, he he lobbied hard for that like because he was not originally cast in sure. that and then he read the script and was like Walt Walt, <laughs> Walt, can I please do this? And he actually, because when he was doing his screen test, fun fact, when he was doing his screen test for Dawes Sr., he, one of the little tricks he was doing just with his body, because he moves the way he was, it, he does, is that um that little getting off the step joke oh, um, yeah. that he does in the movie sure, during his first yeah, entrance. Yeah, yeah. And it, Walt loved it so much, he had the Imagineers build that into the set. It wasn't supposed to be there. And he was like, can you just do this scene while doing that little step down joke? Because it's it's delightful. So <laughs> it's good. Good old it's, DVD. I, good actor. And he, and he returns oh, yeah. and he returns in Mary Poppins Returns to play that character's son, which is a cute mm. little yes. thing. Um, and I will say just a, a sidebar. It is hilarious that they wrote a role in Mary Poppins Returns that was clearly supposed to be played by Julie Andrews. <laughs> Like, could not be telegraphed any clearer. That was supposed to be Julia Andrews, and Julia Andrews was like, I don't want to overshadow what y'all are doing. I'm still going to voice a Kraken in Aquaman uh, this same time of year. I know, she's great in that movie. That movie rules, whatever. Um, But then, like, it's like, all right, well, Angela Lansbury, do you want to do this? (laughs) What other living legend do we have around the studio right now? She's in bed knobs and broomsticks, so, like, I don't know. I guess that's... That's what I'm saying. I mean, she's in Beauty and the Beast. Like, she's clearly been in a bunch of stuff. It makes complete sense It's just her so and, funny like, that it's just like, oh, that role is clearly supposed to be Julie Andrews, but whatever. Mm-hmm. But yes, when the kids are running away after they've uh, broken the bank, um, there's, like, that scene where they, like, run into a dog that's, like, barking at them, and it's clearly, like, a green oh my screen yeah. of just, like, a dog. Mm-hmm. It's like, they're clearly not in the same room. They couldn't have a dog on set? What a weird... It's a live dog. It's know, not an Brian. animated dog. <laughs> That's so weird. I don't know what the I don't know what their days were like. I don't know what their schedule was like. Um, I do, I do like uh, I do like Uncle Albert's joke about having a, a man with a wooden leg named Smith. And yeah. what's the other leg's <laughs> name? Hey, you know what? I love I love a good dad joke. It's a good joke. Um, it's a good bit. Um, it is a dad joke. It's, it is mm-hmm. a, a, of course it. it is. Um, and thought in that context it, before it yeah. is whatever. Um. Step in time. Step in time, step in time. Uh, great song. Yikes. I, I, Bran, we're getting there. Uh, Bran texted me an article, which I didn't get a chance to read, but I saw the title and I was like, I know exactly what this is talking about. And I agree. There are some, there is, Bran, do you want to talk to us about this? Sure. I mean, the article that I sent you was, oh my gosh, I'm going to edit out me fumbling for his name. Uh, the article I sent you was by uh, this person named Daniel Pollock Pelsner, who I think was working on uh, works in education or in academia and was um, writing about how the step in time scene and how specifically when they get covered in soot and she as sort of a cheeky thing rubs it in is uh, like 
sort of maybe in a totally overt reference to blackface and like the acceptance of blackface. And especially sure. because what's the general's name? The admiral with the boathouse. Admiral they didn't talk Boom. about Admiral Boom. Admiral Boom. Yes. That's hilarious. I did not even <laughs> notice that. Yes. He's... Uh, well, and he even calls out. He calls them like he says, like, we're being attacked by Hottentots, which sure, is this, like, sure, sure, yeah. archaic term for black South African people that was a dis- disparaging term, yes. you know, used for South black mm-hmm. African people. And he's talking about it. He's saying it about the chimney sweeps because they're all and Mary Poppins and the kids because they're covered in soot. Right. And he believes them to be like invading black people, sure. you know, and like. It's just pretty gnarly. It was in the Times. If you Google, um, what's the title? It's of, uh, Mary Poppins. If you Poppins, Google uh, yeah, Mary, Mary Poppins and a nanny's shameful flirting with blackface, like, or just Google Mary Poppins blackface New York Times, you'll totally find it. We'll link to it in the thing. I mean, well. again, well, if you want to, in the what you you were gonna you were gonna go again. Okay, whatever. Um, there is because I'm about to change the subject. So oh, if you have another comment. Oh, I on, was just gonna say. This is not like this is. I mean, this is fucking Disney. This is Disney in the sixties. I mean, this is not. Yeah. This is not uncommon, unfortunately. This. I mean, like the aristocrats. There's a whole conversation to be had about the design of Mickey Mouse being completely derived from minstrelsy. Oh, and images of minstrelsy. I mean, this is like right around when Aristocats come out, and you have that uh, like horrific like Asian stereotype with the drummer. Oh, and wow, all that I forgot shit. about that like, one. Well, that's I, like I, that's I, like I, six I, years later. That's even yeah. yeah also, even the uh, Simmons brothers, right? Sher- Sherman's Sherman brothers. Sherman brothers. Yes, Whatever. I believe they wrote the music Same for guys. that. Yes. Um, Good to know you're paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's yeah. Listen, Disney Corporation, uh, not not a sterling record on on race. Uh, gonna yeah. throw that nope. out there. And I'll point out, uh, PL Travers, not a sterling record on race. Yeah. Um, do you know about the that? So there's a fun fact. There's a chapter. Uh, there's a chapter in the original Mary Poppins from 1934 um, called Bad Tuesday. And the plot of that one, which incidentally Disney was thinking about including in the book or in the movie and then chose not to basically for time. Um, and it's a sequence in which she has a magic compass and she takes the children on a journey around the world. Sure. Um, oh, no. And a journey. Yeah. I mean, you can immediately <laughs> just hear. Oh, no. I know where this is going. So incidentally, that book had to be reissued with a rewrite in the 1960s and then reissued again in the 80s with the chapter just fully taken out because it was it was I want to I want to stress this phrase because I think it's important to hold on to. The chapter was too racist for the 1980s. Huh. Yeah. Which is just a high bar to clear. Yeah. Um, Huh. So, yeah, incidentally. Well. That did not include. There also was a sequence. What what was the sequence about? Go ahead. Well, there was that. It was about them traveling the world. There was also a sequence, uh, the one with uh, Valentine and the toys from the musical. That was considered to be in the movie. And that ended up getting cut not for time, but because of the same issue they had in the stage version, which is it was too scary for kids. Sure. Bummer. Because there's really there's really no way to make your toys come alive and try to kill you into <laughs> a um, into a family friendly, which is why I kind of appreciate until the Pixar didn't even comes along bother. with a little movie called <laughs> Toy Story. Tune into our Patreon to hear about our oh, theme park musical about Toy Story. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you, Groom, mm-hmm. Groove Lily, for writing that. Uh, anyway. Um, 
Anyway, uh, back to this show. Oh, we didn't even fucking really talk about uh, the most. Yeah, we've been talking most, about a lot of the periphery. most famous song in this movie. Um, super, super cow, as you super uh, cow, as you yeah, super, super cow. Um, we're being super casual. We're calling it super it's a, cow. It, I don't know. Yeah. It's a good song. It's a fun song. It's sort of taken. Mm. I don't. I mean, the Sherman Brothers just like. They just have this knack. They they've just clearly got a wonderful way of just like creating really catchy melodies. They just are mm-hmm. able to write literal earworms that just get caught in your brain, um, even with a super fucking complicated word like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, which is then sort mm-hmm. of strung out even more so in the stage version. Yeah, the stage version does a lot of great does that great thing that stage shows do where they take a original thing and they just elongate it uh, run it into the fucking ground we love to see it folks i one thing i think that it's it, one while we're talking about super Cal, i think that one thing that really stood out to this movie on a rewatch uh compared to the musical is that this is partially it coming out again in the 60s and so it's a different style of yeah. movie musical there's a lot of songs that just kind of start in there's sure. not yeah. a lot of build up like with that sort of that, I mean, it's sort of it's something that like um, uh, like Howard Ashman basically taught the Disney Company too. But like the idea that you'd have like a lead into the song, maybe there's a little bit of dialogue that overlaps some music right. to like get us into it. But like, not only do both Step in Time and Super Cal just kind of like begin in the middle of a sentence, there's no like setup for why we would start singing them. Like sure. what I a difference between the a difference between the musical and again we can talk about it when we get there is that in the musical there's some establishment of like why are we singing a song about this long, ridiculous word? Whereas in the movie, it's just like, they ask her how she is, and she responds by launching into the song with no explanation of what the yeah. word is. Which, you know what? I kind of don't hate. <laughs> I, I like the, the style. I, I like the stylism of, um, I like the stylism of just being like, this is a world in which, like, I think, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that this movie is entirely diegetic. I don't think there's any scenes in it that aren't supposed to be literally happening in universe. Like even the nannies getting blown away gets referenced by other characters yeah. and like Admiral Boone's all gun those going nannies off are is dead, definitely by the happening. Way. Yeah. Every single like one of them. The, the song numbers, like when songs are happening, characters are recognizing that other yeah. people are singing. Like it, I just don't know another movie musical that's, that's like that. Cause even other like musicals that are sung through and stuff, like the general accepted thing is that like within the universe of the show, like we're not we're, it's understood did not well i mean you don't die jesus it's understood <laughs> that they're not singing but this does appear to be a movie in which every single thing that happens on screen is happening for the characters too um which sets up this really interesting tone that kind mm-hmm. of i think allows for a lot of that you know magic and the song just kind of happen it kind of justifies for me the the 60s style yeah. to it um it is a yeah. Which they don't retain in the musical, but they don't because it's trying to be more of a, of a exactly. Book I mean, yeah, you so. get the the fucking Downton Abbey guy to write it. That's that. That's what's gonna happen. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna. I I don't want to I don't want to tease our opinions on the musical too much, but I, I sense you might have some opinions. Don't, whatever. On the don't worry about it. Don't worry about here. it. Uh, so. Okay. This so I, I don't step in time. Uh, ridiculous. Uh, edging close to blackface number as it is. Good number. Like, that choreography is very fun. Oh, very cool. Yes. Um, Mr. Banks uh, takes a long walk to think about what he's done. Um, He gets... uh, Yep. He's fired from the bank, which drives him mad um, in a joyous way. 
Um, he says, he tells the wooden leg joke to, uh, old man Dick Van Dyke, uh, which makes him laugh hysterically, float into the sky, and he dies. He dies! <laughs> the man, yeah. the man dies! Um, goes to hell with all those nannies. Yes, and so, uh, Mr. Banks, in a, uh, in a delirious stupor, finally agrees to go fly a kite with his children. Uh, so they go and fly a kite, and then they find out, oh, well, since that guy died, you can have your job back. Yeah, whereupon all consequence to his decision in the previous scene is immediately revoked yeah. by order of him killing a guy with a dead joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also do love, so like at the very end of the movie, uh, Julie Andrews has a very charming conversation with her umbrella. Um, and that is a mm-hmm. charming piece of puppetry. I just, I couldn't stop looking at the tongue of the parrot it has mm-hmm. this like worm tongue that just like i was just i was just transfixed by it y'all i was just sexy it was i honestly mm-hmm. honestly it was kind of sexy uh but <laughs> and then she just flies also oh speaking of Everyone wants to fuck Mary Poppins. Everyone. Oh, yeah. There is just such. Even with her horrible wig. Flirtatious energy exuding off of her. And like, has, and I like, Zach, let me know what your thoughts are. Has Bert fucked Mary Poppins? Have they been intimate with one another? What is going on? And, and like, I know this is, I know this is your least favorite thing, which is me throwing, <laughs> throwing sex and especially heteronormative sex into a place where it doesn't necessarily belong. But I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts on this. Well, I, okay. So here's... <laughs> You have two options for response. Do you want the do you want the the playing along with the joke answer, or do you want the actual like canonical in the I mean, movie? Can I answer? have both? <laughs> I mean, okay, yes. Uh, I think the answer the answer, if I'm joking, is that I think he's always wanted to, and she is. Oh, I think she has like she's been like, okay, cool, next Tuesday, sure. and then Tuesday rolls around, and she's like, I'm busy. Can we move it to Thursday? And then like, you know, they've been in, involved in that for a couple hundred years. Um, anyone who thinks that Bert isn't also immortal is, is kidding. Sure. Oh yeah. Um, but the, the, you've actually set me up for a, a point I wanted to bring up, which is that Mary Poppins is a fantastic representation as somebody who the reviewers may not know are, is ace and arrow. Um, uh, Mary Poppins is actually a fairly good representation of an asexual character. And that is entirely despite Walt Disney's sure. efforts, because sure. the background of this is that Walt Disney really wanted Mary Poppins and Bert to be a couple. Like, so much he wanted them to be a couple. And P.L. Travers just was like, you cannot do that. Mary Poppins must remain a neutral. She cannot have a partner in, like, a romantic or anything sense. She has to be individual. Um, Because they'd already combined, like, Bert is already an amalgam of, like, three characters. Because Mary Poppins is supposed to have, like, a whole entourage. And so she was already pissed that they were like, "You've you've given her a partner. Not a romantic one, but you've given her a partner. So, but Disney was like, I'm going to push my luck. And so they have that whole, like, all of Jolly Holidays in him flirting with her and her being like, that's sweet. Let's move on. Like, because she very much like she plays it like, you know, there's the there's a literal lyric. I want to I want to pull it up because I think it's actually important to quote you got here. this. You got um, this. Jolly Holiday lyrics. <laughs> yes, there's a lyric in the song where she sings to Bert. I'm going to quote Please. directly from this. Uh 
it's a it's a holiday it's a jolly holiday with you bert gentlemen like you are few though you're just a diamond in the rough bert underneath your blood is blue yes you'd never think what of, the fuck you'd never <laughs> you'd never think of pressing your advantage forbearance is the hallmark of oh. your creed a lady needn't fear when you are near your sweet gentility is crystal clear so they literally the churn brothers had to put Man. into the text to be like Bert is not a sexual threat. Um, but also, even though like, he's poor, don't worry. Secretly, he's upper class. Like, that's so yeah, weird. I, that yeah. line I wrote down because I was like, that's a fucking insane thing to say, Mary. Yeah. I think it's more of a subtextual, like, you have the, the bearing of an upper. I don't think that it's, I don't think it's a Pirates of Penzance. They are all noble and sure. gone wrong arrangement. <laughs> sure, but, um, sure. But it's, it's interesting you bring it up because I do think that, like, she is a good example of somebody who clearly has, like, there is a romantic energy that she gives off, but it's but it is entirely because of the fact that P.L. Travers was like she cannot she cannot fuck anyone in character like or in in text of this yeah that you end up with this amalgam that is a is actually good representation of an ace person um, and an out of a friendship relationship between somebody who is definitely like Bert. Let me be clear, I don't think that Bert is fuck Mary Poppins, but Bert fucks. Oh, okay? like, oh yeah. Bert fucks, and I think that the relationship between them is actually very sweet. You heard it here. So, I feel like at fucks. most she gave him a handy on a rooftop once. You know? I don't think. <laughs> Hashtag Bert fucks. All right, I just want to close. I want to close this out by just uh, reading out the other nominees for Best Picture this year because this is kind of bananas. So mm-hmm. My Fair Lady wins, and of course yeah. this is also yeah. nominated. The other three nominees are a film called Beckett, which is based on the Jean Ennui play, uh, Zorba the Greek, and mm. Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> which, wow. Which is like, <laughs> all right, <laughs> sure. I guess My Fair Lady is a better movie than Dr. Strangelove. Let's go with that. Um well, as we all know, the Oscars have a sterling <laughs> reputation for always getting this picture right. Yeah. Never <laughs> wrong. Um, Never as, wrong. As, as evidenced, like, four years later when they crowned Oliver Best Picture over 2001 A Space yeah, Odyssey. Yeah, of course. So, oh, course. Yeah. What, what the fuck is it with them you giving know. musical Oscars over Stanley Kubrick films? That's actually really Don't worry, funny. they never have done that since. <laughs> like, I mean, in the modern era, yeah. it's never that way. That's they would true. die before well, they would did. give I a mean, musical Best Picture, I feel like. There literally was. I mean, there was a gap. Like, we, we didn't, until Oliver, un, after Oliver won Best Movie, or Best Movie, Best Picture... <laughs> The next, like, even nominee for best for best picture that was a musical was Beauty and the Beast, yeah. and the next one was Chicago. Win, yeah, was yep, Chicago. Yep, yep. Chicago. Um, any so, yeah. any final? We had a forty year <laughs> drought. Any uh, any final thoughts on just Mary Poppins as a movie before we move into the adaptation? Um, I mean, my final thoughts on her is that I think we've gotten like we've been very our commentary has been very like you know picking. No, not nitpicking, to be clear. But it's been very, like, you know, here's some here's some pieces of the movie. But I think the overall swath of it is that it's a very, like, that that being all diegetic that I mentioned earlier, like, that, to me, carries a lot of it and sets it up in a very specific style that allows me to forgive what is, yeah, very episodic and very broken-up writing. Um, the songs are just, like, unimpeachably good. Sure. I just think it's yeah. maybe the best things that the Sherman sure. Brothers wrote. Um and, uh, and again, I think the cast is really good. Like the, the core yeah. four actors of um, Julie Andrews, Dick Van Dyke, David Tomlinson, and and we didn't really talk about Mr. Banks, despite him being like <laughs> sure. the center of this movie with his upturned um, mustache. And Glennis, 
and Glennis Johns, like, I think they're all, they really they do, do a good job of, of filling in the gaps of what isn't in the text of this movie. They, um, Tom, yeah. Except for uh, Glennis, Glennis Johns is probably doing the most work just because I do think that after that suffragette number, I don't think that Mrs. Banks is given much of a She's character not. at all. It's... She never talks to Mary Poppins in the movie. Weird. Um, Boo. Boo on you. <laughs> in, the, in the book, in the book, it's her, it's it's Mrs. Banks that does the interview of Mary Poppins where she, and it's written very similarly where she like stonewalls and she's like, yeah, I, the best people give the days, give this day off. And also like, I never give any references. And then in the movie, it's Mr. Banks. I don't know why. And then in the musical, it goes back to being yeah. her again. So very um, strange. it's an interesting thing. But I, I think that the thing that carries this movie for me is the emotionality of it. And the fact that it is, I mean, if you want to compare it to a recent movie, In the Heights, sure. it is a movie that is fully unashamed in being the thing sure. that it is, which is a giant musical. Um, without even arguing the merits of, the, of either movie, because I know that there's people that dislike sure. both. But, like, I think that what no one can say for Mary Poppins is that it is trying to be anything that it is not. Sure. It, it succeeds fundamentally at being the thing that it sets out to be. And that, to me, is why I think it... it it perseveres because I, I love a movie that takes a really big swing on a concept and then accomplishes that swing. So I'm not gonna, good I'm on not it. gonna, not gonna disagree with you. Um, but now yeah. we'll take our umbrella. But now we'll we'll fly off into the sky, and forty years later, the winds have changed yet again, and they are blowing us back down. <laughs> to Merry Old England, 2004-ish. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. as, as we kind of alluded to earlier, uh, P.L. Travers um, was not, again, wasn't the biggest fan of the Disney adaptation. She never agreed to another mm-hmm. Disney adaptation of Mary Poppins. Um, mm-hmm. In the 90s, uh, Cameron McIntosh approached her about making a stage musical of Mary Poppins. And her conditions were pretty much um, no one from the film production can directly be involved. Get them the fuck away from this thing. And only English-born writers could work on this. They have to be from England. I don't want any fucking mm-hmm. Americans working on this shit. Uh, they got to be English. They got to get that. And they got, arguably, two of the biggest writing, English writing entities um, that there are. Um, so obviously you got writing the book, Julian Fellows, Mr. Mr. Downton Abbey himself, Mr. Gosford Park himself. Um, yeah, two years before this, he won the Oscar for original screenplay for the Robert Altman film Gosford Park. Um, and of course he is the, the shepherd of the Downton Abbey series. Um, and of course he has such a wonderful, uh, understanding of the class system that he brings so wonderfully into the stage adaptation of Mary Poppins. I will of course give him that. Um, but then of course, so you know, the Sherman brothers only wrote so many songs and they needed to bring it, have more songs for this, but they had to bring in British songwriters. And so of course we have to talk about the songwriting team of Styles and Drew, George Styles and Anthony Drew. Now, Zach, I have a feeling that you, you know a bit about these fellows already. Oh, Styles and Drew. A hundred percent. I do. Um, from being, if, if nothing else, because the same year that this thing was running in London, I performed in Hawk, sure. um, which is another show yep. they wrote. Um, 
And they also they also did with Julian Fellows after this case. So many like ten years after this came out, they did a Wind in the Willows they adaptation did. Oh, with yeah. Julian Fellows. The win- and, uh, um, which, 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 in my opinion, that thing fucks. That thing is very good. I like that show a it's, lot. It's it's not terrible. It's on Disney uh, Broadway HD. If you want to go look yeah. it up. So yeah, that 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 score is not terrible. It's, I I think um, that I think that show goes harder than it needs to. Um, it, oh, harder than it needs to is, yeah, that's a good way to talk about that show. Um, but the other, I, before we get, if I could briefly, Please. briefly put a, put a, put a break Please. on things. I think it would be, re, it would be remiss of us in, an, in a, a, a podcast that is partially about musical adaptations of things to not talk about the first attempt to bring Mary Poppins to the stage. Go on. I, this is, this is that, outside of, are you, I, are, this is outside of my window. Are you not aware? What's up? Are you not aware of the first the first composer who attempted to write a Mary Poppins musical? No, it wasn't Andrew no, Lloyd Webber. It you, wasn't. It wasn't our buddy Andrew, was it? <laughs> it was not our buddy Andrew. Okay. It actually it, it predates. It, technically, it's off the. It's not within the purview of the of the podcast because it's not based on the movie. It's just sure. based on the book. Sure, sure, but sure. Okay. I think I think that you would be interested. Uh, it is my distinct pleasure to inform you that um, our good buddy Josh tried to write one. <gasps> Wow, I did not know Stephen oh, Sondheim Steve, was oh, yes, our good friend. Yes, he did. Stephen, yes. Joshua, Stephen Sondheim. Joshua Sondheim wrote a Mary Poppins musical wow. basically as an audition for Oscar Hammerstein II. Yes, uh, yes. In the 1950s, like prior to, prior to everything he wrote that. It was called Bad Tuesday, <laughs> named after that racist chapter <laughs> I just talked about. Right. And Sondheim has a bit in his in his book, Finishing the Hat, where he yes. talks about it. And he says, like, he says it was one because he wrote four as an audition and two of them would later develop into other projects or he'd take pieces from it. And the Mary Poppins was one of the two that just stalled out because he said, like, I can't. He has a comment in the book where he says, like, I couldn't I couldn't get the different uh, like episodes of the book to like tie together into one narrative and yeah. there's a parenthesis and he's like and neither could disney <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah so i think it's it is important and relevant to us to talk about the fact that sondheim attempted to do a mary poppins musical even before disney did the film um, wow. wild but has since never right. returned to it and Stephen. and now we have uh <laughs> our good our good, good friend josh. josh josh you sassy um, motherfucker <laughs> Uh, but then, yeah. So yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because this, um, the, I think that the, what we're, what we're sort of, what we've glossed over is the fact that like she, Cameron McIntosh had a meeting with, uh, P.L. Travers, um, P.L. Travers, that's her name. Uh, P.L. Travers in which she explicitly stated that the Disney company could not work on this musical. So why is the Disney company producing this musical? Well, Well, the meeting that they had... The meeting they had was in 1993, and there's two important things that happened after that. In 1996, P.L. Travers died, sure. meaning that her works were now controlled by her estate. Yep. And in 2001, um, Disney Theatrical Productions appointed uh, Tom Schumacher, yes. who is the current head yes. of Disney Theatrical, who just by like random coincidence happened to know Cameron McIntosh yes. already. And ah. so at that point, um, Cameron McIntosh had already been lobbying Disney to be like, can I use your songs in this musical, in this in this?" Was it? A, I don't know if it was a musical or a play that he wanted to do, but it was something. He, Some kind of like, stage adaptation. Your, yes. Yeah. Theatrical can I use your experience. songs? Because <laughs> he had basically, he had, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, I was going to make another joke, but I can't think of another thing. Um, it's okay. It'll come to you. Uh, cut that joke out. It's not funny. Um, <laughs> make it sound like I didn't stumble. Uh-huh. Um, 
But he had he had whittled P.L. Travers down to be like, okay, I want to do a play adaptation, but look, everyone knows the movie. Can I use just the music? Like, can I use just the songs in my stage adaptation of Mary Poppins? And eventually she was like, fine, if you can get the Disney company to accept that arrangement, which of course they were never going to accept. <laughs> yeah, so in 2001, uh, after Tom Schumacher was, was approached by, because uh, Disney had considered doing Mary Poppins prior to that, but there'd always been the fact that they didn't own the stage rights sure. because Cameron McIntosh got to it first. And P.L. Travers so in 2001, still alive, you know. And still alive, yeah. Well, even after she died, like that, that interim before Tom joined, for like, sure, for sure. they still couldn't do a stage version because the copyright was held by, or not the, not the copyright, the stage adaptation rights were held by Macintosh. Yeah. But in 2001, Macintosh entered, entered conversations with Disney, and so that is why this is the only Disney musical that is Disney and someone else sure. um, produces this what? adaptation. And then they, they go back on their promise to... Um, <laughs> To not include well, any, any of the Disney I mean, artists. If you really want to get into the fucking the weeds of it, no one from the film is involved. The company is, but no person from the film is yeah, involved. Sure. And everyone, yes. and arguably again, everyone who wrote the thing is English and not. Oh yeah, they held. Yeah. They held to that. They held to the all English writers' rule, which is why this this arrangement of fellow Styles and Drew. Styles, I, I say Styles. Uh, Styles and Drew. I'm gonna go with Styles. If you're listening and you know that it's Stills, I apologize. Um, this arrangement of fellow Styles and Drew never did another Disney musical, is because they were basically brought on to do just yeah. this. Um, but yeah, they they also it's interesting because they it they definitely it's it's very much a rearrangement of the score because there's some songs that are that are brought yeah. in from the film. And then there's some songs like Supercalifragilistic and uh, The Life I Lead, which is the song that the dad sings at the beginning, that are brought into the musical, but with like entirely different yes. lyrics mm-hmm. um, to suit the new situation they put into. And then there's also some songs that are dropped and some new songs that are written up from yeah. the cloth. Um, and a lot of what's what's actually interesting in, in digging into this is that a lot of Fellow's book, like a lot of the scenes that they added that aren't from the movie are taken directly exactly, from the books. Yes. Like it's, it's very much a split adaptation of the films and the books together. Um, because like, the, yeah, as I mentioned, Valentine and the toys, that's from the books. Uh, Miss Andrews coming in is from the books. Uh, Mrs. This, this, um, they go to the Mrs. Corey's conversation store. That's from yes, the books. Mrs. Corey's conversation store. It's, it's, she's from the books, although her relationship to this, to the word super Cal is completely sure. fabricated for the stage version. Sure. Um, and she's incidentally, apparently like, according to IMDb, she's in the Disney movie, but like in a very minor sure. role, like <laughs> somewhere Whatever. else. Um, but the important thing of course, being that she has the whole like gingerbread yes. factor, like she's like a candy store. Cause that comes in, in a big thematic way. <laughs> Somehow, in the musical. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so yeah, still isn't true. They, I mean, they, they, I think right. I mean, they're good. They're good they writing team. Sort of they're like the, the best musical theater writing team that Americans have never heard of. Like they are sort of like, out, like outside yeah. of Mary Poppins, like none. And, and I guess honk, like, uh, I mean the fucking, the yeah. summer camp I went to, uh, always did honk. It was always <laughs> the kids show they did was honk because people love to do, uh, the ugly duckling, but a musical. Wouldn't, wouldn't you Brian, wouldn't you want to do the ugly duckling, but a musical? I'd honk on it. You'd, you'd honk. I'd honk it. I'd honk it. <laughs> love, a, love a honk. Love a good honk. But. Yeah, as I mentioned, I was in honk in like 2005. Sure. I don't know. what Four or five. 
All I know is whatever. What was the year? Do either of you know off the top of your heads the year that Pope John Paul II died? Because it was whatever year that was. Because he died during the reversal uh, process. But, I wish I had that knowledge off the top. I think of it my was. Head. I think it was 2005. Because I'm pretty sure I was out of okay. high school. Then it was 2005. Um, but yeah, I did honk then, and I actually, I, it's interesting because I've, I've gone back Rome. and forth on <laughs> um, mysteriously. Stills and Drew have also done a Peter they Pan have, adaptation. Yeah. Like they've written a bunch of musicals, and their Peter Pan is actually not a terrible adaptation. We're actually um, going to talk about we're going to talk about them another time because they wrote a show called Betty Blue Eyes, which is based on a movie. Um, oh, so yeah, we will. So Eyes. don't have to get, don't have yeah. to. Stroke their ego yeah. too much this episode, but but yeah, they are they are. I think they're a solid writing team. I don't think that they've written anything that's quite as iconic as the Sherman Brothers, but certainly, like I think, as a if you're picking a British songwriting pair to basically try to fill in new songs for to to cover what the Sherman Brothers did, I think that you couldn't have picked a better yes. duo. And like, I, th- I think it makes a I lot think of their sense. Songs, uh, I mean, it's interesting because, yeah, they, they get Shaman and Whitman to do songs for Mary Poppins Returns. And I actually think in different ways, uh, Stills and Drew and Shaman and Whitman each capture different essences of the Sherman Brothers' original original music. I think, mm-hmm. and, and I, I can't even point, figure out sort of like how to actually specifically pin that down. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's something, mm-hmm. uh, since I don't want to fucking talk about that movie, because Lin-Manuel Miranda might just show up out of nowhere, um, if the more the more we talk <laughs> ah, about it just that jumps If you say the name of his projects three times, he appears. I'll, I'll say, <laughs> I was watching Summer of Soul in a movie theater, and he just showed up in a talking head out of nowhere. Scared the shit out of me. Uh, it's fucked up. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, so in the stage show, yeah, I think the Stills and Drew songs... Well, I need a Content warning <laughs> for any Lin Manuel yeah. content. I think the Stills you know, also the, oh, yeah. no, I, no, you you go because I was gonna. I think it. the Stills and Drew songs just like really seamlessly work in together with the Sherman Brothers songs. Like there are even like Cherry Tree Lane weaves into the Perfect Nanny and then weaves back into Cherry Tree Lane again seamlessly, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's a very and I mean, like I said, it's the opposite of the of the film in that like they do a really good job. Like I love. I love the intro to Step in Time in this musical. Like, it's all slow. It's got these piano chords. It's got this, like, booming, like, rhythm to it. Like, I just love the way that they build into the songs. I think that that's a really... And that's partially... I brought up the name. That is... The music is orchestrated for the Broadway production by William David Brown. Sure. Great. Um, Love it. And I could... I could write... I could write an essay on the use of electric guitar in this Edwardian set musical sure. because it's it's surprisingly pervasive. Like it's all over the place in this show. Um, but I, I, yeah, it's yeah. You, you, uh, I mean, you, you have a YouTube channel. You could do that if you, you wanted. You could literally to. make I, an essay. I. I don't think I could do a video. <laughs> well, actually, maybe that'd be the right way to do it because you'd use the audio at that point. Sure. I don't know. I'd have to really dig through the score at that point. Like, that'd be, it'd be something I haven't done before. You'll, th- but, hey, you'll think on know. it. You'll think it's on it. But anyway, so anyway, so this is this show really is a recalibration of the movie. Like, it is... They, oh, they yeah. attempt to to give it some structure. Uh, Josh doesn't think that they succeeded, but I think <laughs> I think they did okay. Well, Josh, jo- 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 I don't think Josh was talking about the musical. I think he was talking oh, about the film. Oh, gotcha. That, that's fair. I think, but I think Josh has, I, I mean, assume. obviously Josh has high standards, so who knows? Um, 
But Ooh, like, yeah. I think they do. <laughs> You're just gonna make that a thing that we just consistently call yeah, him that's his, Josh. His name is Josh. Whatever. His middle name is yeah. Josh. Josh friends. Like, like close, close personal friends of Josh Sandy. Uh, but like, yeah. <laughs> but like, Josh I mean, but Sandy. yeah, like they move a spoon sh- full of sugar to be like about like them cleaning up the kitchen. They actually really like mm-hmm. boost up the servant characters in this adaptation again again they do. there's they really that do. julian fellows for you like bringing in the underclass they're bringing in the working class mm-hmm. to have a stronger presence well, there's I also suppose. the there's the bit because first of all i want to say that they they for those for all you ellen the cook fans out there all you ellen the cook stands from the movie um i'm sorry that she's been replaced in this musical by a guy named robertson i <laughs> um who is who is also like a lot of things from the book. Sure. Um, but I do think the dichotomy, like the relationship between him and Mrs. Brill is, I think, a lot more interesting. Not that, you know, you need a, a hugely interesting relationship between the two of them, but like the idea that she has like another conflict yeah. for her to like try to control him. Um, and I do like, I mean, yeah, there's a lo- there's the line, there's a little bit, like there's an undercurrent that I don't think is overplayed in the musical of, of the, the Banks family kind of, realizing that they might be the rich that need to be sure like there's a bit where where jane they're about to they're they're about to launch into spoonful of sugar and jane is like can't we just wait for roberts and i to wake up and do it and mary poppins is like no eat the rich like you need to get you need to come in here and clean up your own messes and i like it's that true. i like that angle it's true um, um no you're yeah. absolutely right i think it, to brief no 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 to, I think that it, it brings up an interesting point which is that brand's uh brand's opinion on mary poppins in the film being stern um, I could see that. I mean, I I don't necessarily agree with it, but I think that it's. I certainly think it's rooted in the fact that Mary Poppins is not like she's not a bouncy like happy character the sure. whole way through. And I do, I think that 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 comes through in the stage version as well. Is that there's a definite sternness yes. to a lot of the ways that she she addresses the kids to the point where it, Michael even asks her at the end like she says one kind thing about him in the in, like in the final scene and she's like he's like no don't don't be nice. Like say something mean to me. Yeah. Like be, be, be honest, honestly. Did, did, isn't um, that something? Am I, but, am I making yeah. this up where she said, says something where she's like, I'm not nice. I'm fair. Like that. Or like I'm, uh, I, I might be, I, that might be something I'm making up from someone. I mean, if you're making up the quote, it's entirely in line with what she yes. says. I mean, it's, that is the character right there is that she's like, I'm going to be stern. Yeah. I mean, all the things that she says in practically perfect, like she's going to be stern with the kids. And there's a lot of moments where she just isn't, she does not. I mean, she. If there's one thing about Mary Poppins that I know across all adaptations is that she is a character who suffers no shit. <laughs> sure. Like she, she'll be bouncy and happy when she feels that the kids have deserved it. But when she, like, I mean, there is a there is a turning point halfway through both of this both of the adaptations where she just goes, they gotta they gotta do it on their own yeah, from this point. She like literally, I, she literally leaves. That is the act one finale. She's yeah. just like, I ain't doing this. I'm gonna go. Yeah. And not in a not in a mean like I wash my hands of the yeah. situation way, but in a like listen, I'm gonna come back when you guys are ready for me to come back. Like I'm gonna leave the room, and when you have all your shit sorted out, I'm gonna come back. It is also I, and, so I do love so yeah again like in their like attempts to sort of like find some kind of narrative conflict, they bring in uh, yeah. Mr. Banks's nanny from when he was a kid, Mrs. Andrew, yes, they do. Uh, who mm-hmm. no no spoonfuls of sugar, just brimstone and treacle. Treacle. Uh, what great words. Yeah. Jesus, what great words. Um, and I love it ends in like uh. some fucking like it's like the end of an MCU film where like Mrs. Andrew and Mary Poppins are like. 
like battling each other. And she's okay, like, good. I'm I was so crazy. A spoonful of sugar. It- I was extremely nervous coming into this podcast that you were going to be against the Nanny Thunderdome. So I'm so <laughs> no, it's happy. Cool. That it's fun. That you're on board for it. Because it's. It's amazing. And it's also, it, I didn't realize this until I, I read the, the script of it, is that the way, so the way that Mrs. Andrews' story ends in the book is that she, like, they let the lark go. They let her sure. lark go, which is the whole thing. They do, it, they do that in the show. But then Mary Poppins shrinks her and puts her in the cage what? and then makes the lark, then makes the lark bigger and the lark carries her off in the birdcage. Yeah. And in the musical, there's a stage oh, direction at oh, the end of the song Zach, where it's like Zach, a huge Zach, birdcage Zach, appears. Zach, I wrote it down. I, so this is the, this is the <laughs> stage direction that, that appears. Quote, a giant birdcage appears. Miss Andrew is sucked, screaming into it, clutching the bars <laughs> as the cage retreats. I mean, there was a, there was a controversy <laughs> that they wouldn't let kids younger than three years old into the theater, and I understand this. Yeah. This shit t- sounds terrifying. I mean, it really like it, it's incredible that, that moment of all moments is taken directly out of the book. But um, it I mean, yeah, what you mentioned is true because there's also like the uh, what what was on Broadway temper temper sure. and then became for the licensed the version game, yes. uh playing the game which is i i had I make no mistake that might be the worst song <laughs> sure. in the show. but um <laughs> but temper temper is i mean it pulls no punches in being like the kids are getting the death penalty for not pay not playing with the toys and there's even a moment in the because i remember this from the state so actually yeah. sorry i have to make a brief Please. aside brief aside which is that I have to mention, as a matter of disclosure, the three productions of this that I've seen. So, thus, my bias based on the versions Please. I've seen. I have seen, I have seen it, and I saw the show three times. I've seen it in 2008. I saw it on right. Broadway when I was like 14 or whatever. Um, I saw it on Broadway, and then I saw it in 2014 at Village Theater in Issaquah, Washington. It was an equity production. They did almost all the same effects as the Broadway, uh, Broadway version. Like, they really Wonderful. made it good. And then, um, and I also, they, well, I can talk a little bit more about that production and it's acting because it's an important caveat and then um i saw it in 2017 uh at a youth theater in it's a, uh, sorry not in, Esquire, in kirkland washington um which as a matter of financial disclosure i have been paid to direct for but i had no involvement in this production for sure. so i am i am operating off of three productions of the show as well as having read the 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 for script sure. of it ben have you ever seen it i've never seen it have you i saw the paramount you, whenever that was sure like, was that yeah all oh, right yeah, it was cool. I mean, they 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 like I don't know how far the uh, they 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 tend to go all out with effects. Oh, and yeah. like she flew across the audience like it's like an eighteen hundred oh, yeah. seat house. She flew to the balcony. It was cool. And like during step in time, there were like I want to say at least five dancers on like in harnesses mm-hmm. tap dancing upside down and stuff. Very impressive. A bunch of cool magic stuff. too. Hell but, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That's. I know friggin' the Mercury did it a few years ago, which is wild to me because that is like a small house. I'm just yeah. For our listeners who aren't (laughs) in Chicago, the Mercury Theater is a. I mean, I would say midsize. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not it's not a company that you could necessarily do the Broadway version. Although I do think that the Mary Poppins script is strong enough that you could do it without all of the Disney effects. High schools love this show. 
all the magic. Well, I guess yeah. So yeah, and I will say um, in adaptation, they obviously they make the smart choice of like, well, we can't do an animated sequence. I mean, we could, but it probably wouldn't be great, and like mm-hmm. it couldn't be yeah. replicated from uh, production to production. So I do like so yeah. So obviously for yeah. Super Cal, Super Cal, and Jolly, well, mainly for Jolly Holiday. Uh, they transplant yeah. it to sort of just like, well, the stage is kind of muted and then the colors get brighter and then all the statues and mm-hmm. things come to life, which is, again, yeah, its own form of magic. And like, sure. you did, you, uh, or chorus mm-hmm. line style, we did what we had to do. Um, and they, <laughs> yeah. they made it work. Well, that's one of the. One of the things I love so much about this adaptation is that I feel like it's such a it's such a good example of in adaptation understanding what not just like because it isn't it isn't just we need to make changes because it's a Broadway musical therefore it needs to be different but it's like understanding what works on film and what doesn't work on stage because there's certain things like like if if Disney wanted to with all their money and power they could easily have done like well not easily but they could have done like a Sunday in the Park with George 2006 revival style job sure. where, they, where it's all, it's all projected on the walls and, and they do the yeah. animation. But they were smartly like, no, that's not how stage language works. Be so they, you, they did a version of Jolly Holiday. First of all, they bring in Nelius, who is also from the book. So there's another character there to like make that, tie that to character narrative. Yeah. Right? Um, but they, they, they transform Jolly Holiday they transform, um, they find a new place for Super Calvin so it can still be in the show without being in the animated sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and even smaller things like, like, I'm, like, I don't know if people have a, have a, a preference wide or not for cutting I Love to Laugh because it's not in the yeah. musical. But the more I think about it, like, imagine I Love to Laugh but with all wide shots. Sure. <laughs> because that's what it would be. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the same effect on stage. And there's other things like, the uh, the ending, like as much as I I love that sequence of Mr. Banks walking through the streets because um, it's just so beautifully shot, sure. and the music is so good. Um, it doesn't, it wouldn't translate. If anything, I think the equivalent we get is that there's a really brief scene right after Let's Go Flag Kite at the top of Act Two, where you see him wandering through the park yeah. alone, and he sings like a little reprise of Life I Lead, and that's that's all we get. But it's all we really like. It, it feels like it's an equivalent exchange if we're getting something that's. Well, maybe not equivalent, but it feels like they're, they're yeah, trying I mean, to fill in that moment. That's, that's usually this, what they, in the language that's what of the they stage. usually yeah. say is like in, in musicals, like a song is sort of like the equivalent of a close up. Like that's kind yeah. of like the, yeah. uh, uh, the sort of the language, right? So, Zach, I think we're, we're honing in on, and so obviously this is where I feel like you need to sort of uh, take us off to the races <laughs> uh, with your bold claim that you made yeah. at the top of this episode. And I, and I think I'm. I'm in ag- I'm in agreement with you where I actually do think this is a very good adaptation in that they are taking yeah. what is good about the film but yeah like you so eloquently just said they are realizing the limitations and realizing what needs to happen from medium to medium and not only that yeah. but also paying tributes to elements from the books that weren't in the original mm-hmm. film but from your perspective in your estimation what is it about uh, Mary Poppins, The Fellows, Stills, Drew adaptation that makes it mm-hmm. as of this as of this date the best Disney theatrical mm-hmm. adaptation. Adaptation is the key sure. word there because I mean the thing the thing that stands out for me about this is that I do I mean if I I feel like with everything I've said so far this isn't going to come across as a hot take but I think the script the script of the movie or sorry the script of the musical is better than the script yes. of the movie. I think that it is more cohesive. I think it finds clearer ways to thread the thematic narratives through the characters and through the songs. 
in a way that makes everything feel like it is at least like interconnected. There's a reason why we're going through all of these sequences. I think that it has a much stronger Mr. and Mrs. Banks relationship. Sure. I think that that's just way more like there's more communication between the two of them. I think that Mrs. Banks's conflict is much more like I would, this is where I disagree with the earlier point of they take her and they flatten her for the musical, because I actually think that her conflict is way more explicit in the musical and that it's about her being like, I, every single character like among the Banks family in this musical is trying to, or at least like is aware of a role socially and like based on their class that they are supposed to fill. The dad has to be the breadwinner. Like the mom has to be the hostess. And she, and I think again, talking about Julian fellows, like, the, the whole idea that she's a suffragette from the movie came basically from the Sherman brothers being like, if she doesn't have a job, why can't she take care of the sure. kids? And what Julian Fillows understands for the stage adaptation is that it's like, no, she had a job. It was being a housewife, which was totally separate from taking care of the sure. kids in the Edwardian era. Sure. And so the whole idea that the, her through line in this musical is that she's like, I'm trying to do the job that I have been basically married into out of love for my husband, out of love for my children, because I believe it's what they want. And even the kids, like, they kind of know that they're supposed to be the obedient kids, but they're acting out because it's not what, you know, they don't want to do it. Um, And what I think everyone settles in by the end of this musical is being like, well, no, we don't have to be defined by the role that we've been given within the family, within society, whatever. It's like the most important thing, like we can fill those roles. The dad doesn't leave the bank. The mom doesn't stop being a hostess. But the point is, like, we should be acting out those roles in a way that is like, the way that we want to act them and not like because we have been told by society or because we feel that like we need to, you know, do this in a certain way or like, you know, act, you know, have a certain way of doing mm-hmm. our job. Um, and I think that that's clear. I mean, you get more hints. I can see people having a mixed opinion on this, but you get more hints early on in the musical that the dad is redeemable. Sure. You get more sense that like he is trying to be the dad in the movie. Um like the the one the the guy in the musical is attempting to be basically the version of Mr. Banks that we see in the movie, but he he keeps faltering and he keeps being like I'm tr- I'm trying to do the right thing, but I but he quickly learns that like the right thing is to be with his family and to prioritize the family over everything else. And I think that that conflict is just much stronger um, in in the musical because honestly, I mean, yeah, the Banks family is the protagonist. It's not Mary sure. Poppins. Um, although I do think that they give her more. They do in in Brand's point, they give her a lot more. Uh, of an arc in this show they give her a clear relationship to the kids and you understand that like she has that really she has a really nice um reprise at the end of the show where she basically is it is it a spoonful of sugar or is it a i think i think it's spoonful of um, sugar yeah where she sings basically like you know now that they've you know, there comes a time. Yo, it is. It's there's a time in every uh feat that there is a job that is complete. I don't know. I've paraphrased that, but. There's a bit where she she feels she's like, I know that I'm not supposed to be emotionally attached, but I am. But I know I need to leave anyway. Yeah. And that's a good beat for her. I think that that that, you know, with everything we've seen of her being so stern earlier in the show, having that closing moment with her and even the moment with Bert that's retained for the yeah. movie. Um, it just it gives her a nice like you can understand that she has a role that she's playing as well, um, that she is much better at playing because, again, she is an immortal being. But um but like, yeah, there's still there's still conflict there and there's still something interpersonal. So I just think that it's taken as a whole. And then you get into things like, yeah, the, the writing is very fluid. And I think that they do a good job of adapting it on the whole. I think it's the strongest adaptation Disney's done. And it's strong because they feel 
the freedom to not just be the film on stage. Right. Um, not necessarily because there's other there's other Disney adaptations where I feel like they can't they're not the film on stage because they can't be like there's certain sure. things like Little Mermaid's a good example of that. Of it's like it's not that it's different because. Well, I mean, I don't know the theory behind it. I haven't researched the tournament. But a lot of the changes in that feel rooted in the fact that, like, the thing that is on screen cannot be transmitted to the stage. Again, a film language yeah. thing. But with Mary Poppins, it's not like, well, we'll try to get as close to the movie as possible. It's like, well, no, if things don't work on stage, we're just going to change mm-hmm. them. We're going to do a different adaptation yeah. of it that feels totally separate. And I think that it's I, – I respect that a lot from a company that is as as – as protective of its IP as Disney mm-hmm. is um, to, and part of that might've been the fact that again, they had, they had no writing involvement on this <laughs> sure. because they had to yeah. legally give it to still and Cameron McIntosh's like, influence. And I mean, also this is one of the well, few yeah, properties yeah. they adapt that actually has like more backstory to even pull from. Cause most of them are just yeah. a 90 minute movie. Exactly. You know? Yeah. That's true. I mean, it's they. There's nothing like yeah. With with Little Mermaid, they're not pulling from the Hans Christian Andersen myth. They're just sure. pulling from, from the movie. Yeah. So there is, I think, and even there's some things that are made up made up completely for the musical. But it still feels yeah. You know, the Stills and Drew songs feel like they fit within the 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 score that the that the um the Sherman Brothers set up. And like, I don't think there's many. There is okay. There's one. There's one major thematic departure I don't like right. in the musical, and that is how they deal with the bird. That how they deal with the bird woman. Sure. Um, because I. I don't like the fact that it's Mary Poppins that first introduces them to the bird woman in sure. person. Um, because in the movie, it's like she sings a song to the snow globe about it. And then they see her in person with the yeah. dad first, which is why they don't yeah. go to her as opposed to in the musical where it's Mary Poppins basically being like, you should treat this person with respect and out of respect, we're going to not touch her. Yeah. Um, and then at the very end of the musical, there's this, I mean, there's the, the shot in the movie where the dad comes up on the church and she's not there. It's just yeah. so good. And then in the musical, they're just like, no, he gives her money and then he fucks off the yeah. bank. But like, so I don't like that. That's one thing I, I distinctly sure. don't like about the adaptation is how they deal with Birdwoman. But um, for the rest of it, I think that, yeah, it's just it's a it's a good adaptation because it allows it to be its own its own thing that is distinct from the music from the movie, but honors the movie. And I think goes into a surprising amount of depth that the movie doesn't do. Um, so yeah, and yeah, it, my my argument is really just that like among the eight Broadway adaptations of Disney films, because I'm not necessarily well, I don't know enough about the ones that aren't sure. on sure. Broadway. You know, your High School Musicals, your Freaky Fridays, etc. <laughs> um, but um, and I haven't seen Hercules, despite the fact I know you have. It's good. Um, but among. Among the eight, I think that it's the strongest script. I think it's the strongest adaptation. It's it's stronger um, than it, this. Mary Poppins has a stronger script than Hercules, and I also know that they are rewriting. They they mm-hmm. got rid of the original book writer of, of that Hercules. They brought in a new. Yeah, and they hired David King Horn. Robert Horn, but Robert he still sucks. Horn. He he, <laughs> um, he he did the book for Tootsie. He sucks. Um, we don't like. Yeah, him. he sucks. Can't wait to do that. Um, oh God, that is the the episode I'm the least excited to do. Whatever the fuck we do it. Um, but yes, I was. So yeah, I mean yeah. So Zach, I I respect your hot take. I I I I think it is uh, based in. I think you you've backed it up well. Um, I think you know if mm. nothing else, if if Lion King is the most theatrically daring of the Disney adaptations, then yeah, one could make the argument that Mary Poppins is the most 
are daring from an adaptation standpoint. Because you're right, it is the one that is, Mm -hmm. I guess, least true to its source material. It is the one that is taking Mm -hmm. more liberties than any other film-to-stage adaptation in the Mm -hmm. Disney canon. And I think that is a... Yeah. yeah. And doing so in a way that is very motivated doing so in a way that feels like it's doing so in a way that feels like it is an artistic choice and not a like corporate choice yes um because i do think that the disney musicals on the whole like i mean if i could offer this hot take i think that the disney musicals on the whole do generally try to be good pieces of art i think that they are attempting to be good adaptations certainly in the Um, first few rounds i would say i would i would say the word attempt is doing a lot of heavy lifting uh in in well yes well yes obviously but that's the thing it's like i don't feel as opposed to like like tootsie to me like musicals like tootsie or rocky and things like it's like i they feel more like a cash grab for me they feel more like like the the i whoever owns the studio that owns the ip rights commissions the writers to come to the thing and i feel like with disney it always comes from a place of like what of the what among our canon of movies would actually work as a stage musical except and for, except frozen not, i feel like frozen's the one that feels the most like a cash grab of the stage well films. i mean possibly i i haven't seen it so i can't i can't well, give a tune in, in a few but, weeks um, anyway go on <laughs> we'll see um but uh but yeah, it's. It, I think that the Disney musicals, on, on on general, like whether or not they succeed, I think they always come from a place of trying to create something that is that is artistic and will stand independently, with the exception of maybe Beauty and the Beast, just because it was the first time right. they'd done it. I think that it was the first time they really try to like make them stand as their own as their own thing. And I think that Mary Poppins, uh, now that it's you know now that it's available for licensing yeah. and production is no longer a factor that we can necessarily consider as far as like measuring it because different productions yeah. are going to do different things. Like that's, that's kind of the reason that I, when I, when it comes to, um, this is something I keep running into in, in discussing the show is that like, um, when we come to comparing, like, sorry, you're I'm, so good. Yeah. 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 You're all, okay. your, your brain. This is yeah. where, we, this is where the cut starts for the, for the edit. Um, when we come to comparing things like the script and the writing and the adaptation of this to the other Disney musicals, it feels like that's something that we can sure. do here because we can compare it again, script of film to script of musical. When it comes to comparing it to the production of the thing, I'm more hesitant to like, it feels weirder to me to make a comparison, um, even musical to musical before you even get into film to musical here, because like production is going to change. Something like Lion King has never been licensed. So obviously we have like, the Julie Tamer version that is oh, our sure. very clear benchmark. But with with uh, with Mary Poppins, like even having seen the Broadway production, admittedly, like way <laughs> yeah. long ago, I know from from having seen two other productions of it that it is it varies wildly in production. Like obviously, a musical is not its script, and I think that Mary Poppins, like when it is performed, it can it has the potential to have something that is like even greater than what is on the page. I mean. I say that that's true of basically every musical, <laughs> but like, but I know specifically because, and I, this is where I kind of, I, I mentioned I was going to come back to it is that that production at village theater, the, the 2014 one, it, that production ranks among one of my favorite musicals, like productions of a musical Very I've ever cool. seen. And it is, it is entirely, well, no, it's partially due to the fact the adaptation is good. And it's partially due to the fact that those people, like those artists working on it, knew the story they were telling and dug into the depth of it, like really dug into the text. So like 
With Mary Poppins, I feel it is difficult to make a comparison of it being the best musical because among the Disney canon, because like what what is the musical <laughs> sure. of Mary Poppins? It's variable dependent on production. As opposed to something like Lion King, where yeah, you have one production. And even that, like when Lion King comes out and other productions don't necessarily have that Julie Taymor aesthetic, or God forbid, they try very hard to copy the Julie right. Taymor aesthetic. Low budget Lion King I'm, Tumblr. Which I know <laughs> is coming. Away. Like of course that's gonna start happening. <laughs> Like, our, our perspective of what the musical even is is going to shift. I mean, like, Cabaret is a good example of that. It's a musical that, like, for, like, 30 years had a very clear method of how sure. to do it. Like, people would be very easy to compare what it is. And then along comes this revival that fundamentally changes what the show is and, like, what the, what the NC is and, like, what its underlying darkness is. Like, you know, it's all in there in the text, but you see a production that really brings it out and it, it makes you realize that there's a lot more to it. That's that's possible then. Which is why coming to the Marriott Theater next season, Sam Mendes's Mary Poppins. It's it's coming. I would watch the hell out of that. I would I would 100 percent watch that. Um, Well, it's I mean, it's telling to me that one of the one of the first reviews that came out of it when it was in London gave it two out of four stars. And their argument was that it was too serious. They were like, they've added too much depth to it. It's it's not funny like the movie. And I'm like. But that's why I like the adaptation yeah. so much is that it has the it has the guts to do that to really take what is and I mean I don't think the original Mary Poppins the movie is all fluff sure. I do think that it has a very clear line with the dad and there's you know some seriousness to it but like I think that it, it really takes something for them to to take a movie that you know within the forty years that it had been out had a reputation for being you know this happy fun musical and being like no there's some there's some real depth in here that we can yeah. dig into. Um, which is why, yeah, when I say that it's the best adaptation, I'm talking about based on what I can glean from like what this script and score would mean for future production. For sure. forward. That's really all I can measure objectively. Yeah, I, I respect yeah. that argument. Um, I, I, I do. <laughs> I do. Um, so, yes. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm no, meander, it's a, but yes. it's a good meander. Uh, just to close it out on this uh, <laughs> musical. So, yeah, like I sort of alluded to before, it was nominated at the Tony Awards for Best Musical. Uh, in that same season, which again, uh, Zach, you covered one of the other nominees, Grey Gardens, um, and the Grey other Gardens. nominee we'll never talk about, Curtains, because that's an original show, um, and we'll never talk about yeah. the winner, which was Spring Awakening. Um, this was also the Legally Blonde season. I think mm. I think there were a lot of people who mm. were irked by the fact that Mary Poppins got in over stuff like Legally Blonde. I was irked that it got in over Love Music, a musical that I know isn't great but i love it's a juke it's a kurt vile jukebox musical um oh. and i oh that's very nice yeah, it's 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 kurt vile and lot love story told with kurt vile's music uh hal prince directed it and just like most hal prince uh later in life broadway shows too much like I'm telling, in like <laughs> sure. in like ten years, John Doyle is gonna direct it, and everyone's gonna love it, and that's all I'm gonna say about sure. love music. Um, but anyway, so but yeah, it it got some it it got a best musical nomination. Good for it. Gavin Lee got nominated for lead actor, um, and it won scenic design for yeah, it, Mary Poppins won scenic design. <laughs> they they dot. That house is cool. How it, when it opens at the first and sort of unfolds, yeah, it's pretty cool. How have I done? How have the I have done two episodes about two musicals from the same season, both of which involved a large house <laughs> set piece. True, <laughs> houses were in that year. We love houses. They 
They were. That's, it's the big house. August Osage County was probably around that same time, too. It's a big old house on stage. Yeah, I think that was the next season. Yeah, because this was the Coast of Utopia year was the play. That oh, was, boats. Oh. <laughs> More boats, less houses. Um, so straight theater was doing boats, musicals were doing houses, and we were going to swap pretty quick. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Stupid. Uh, all right, Mary, <laughs> Mary Poppins. Uh, but so that's what Disney was up to uh, in the West End in 2004, and they were prepping to bring uh, a Phil Collins musical to Broadway just a few months earlier in 2006. What havoc would come with that show? We'll find out next week. But before we leave you. Zach Barr, as mm-hmm. you know, at the as mm-hmm. and as our listeners, I hope know, at the end of every episode of Movie the Musical, we ask our guests a very important question. So, Zach, if you could adapt any movie into a musical that has not been adapted already, what movie would you choose? So, I wanted to do something thematic for this one, like I like I tried to for Grey Gardens and then pick Lilo and Stitch instead. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which was having thought, so as a bit of a, as a, bit of a teaser for your Ooh. listeners, um, the next video essay that I'm going to put out somewhere in August or September? I don't know. I'm currently, I'm, I, I, I recently got a directing gig for something in Ooh. August, so my, my schedule is a bit different right now. But um, the next video essay coming out after this episode does is going to be about the very, very first Disney musical from 1969, um, which was when Disney licensed the Muni to do a Snow White musical. Very cool. Um, which is all the teaser I'm going to give more information on that to come. (laughs) But in my research for that, I realized that like Disney, Disney has sort of burned through all of the Renaissance movies that could presumably be turned into Broadway musicals. The only ones left aside from like rescuers done under in Fantasia 2000, which are like their own things. The three movies left in the Renaissance that could presumably become stage musicals are Emperor's New Groove, um, Pocahontas, and Mulan. Those are the only three left. And I, of the three, I feel like Mulan is the obvious yeah. pick for, like, the safest one to do next. Um, but I also feel like I don't know if they're necessarily going to do it. So I was thinking, like, what among the Disney canon mm-hmm. would make sense to adapt into a musical next? And I thought about a lot of options, and the answer I have surprises me. Um, but I think in the same vein as Mary Poppins, it is, a mu- it is a movie that I find to be flawed. But I think that in adapting it, if Disney had a similar hands-off approach to it and the way they did with Mary Poppins, it could result in a very strong stage adaptation because the score is very good and the setting of it is very good and I think allows a lot of theatrical opportunities. Um, and that film is The Aristocats. Okay. I, I, okay. I had a feeling. I had Which a are, feeling. Yeah. I thought you were <laughs> going with Pete's Dragon I, I mean, reason. I thought you were going to say Home. I thought oh, you were going to yeah. say Home on the Range, but whatever. The Aristocats. <laughs> <laughs> No one should deal with it. Well, the other one, the other one that was right behind it was sure, Robin. Sure, sure, I was like, sure. Robin yeah, Hood feels like it could work. But anyway, uh, like, yeah, give us your but, Aristocats pitch. But I like, but Aristocats, I just think it's like, it, I, I don't have like a full pitch for it the way I did for Lilo and Stitch. It just comes into like, I think it comes down to the characters are really distinct. I think that they're, the songs are good. I think that it's, it's, it's another episodic narrative. So it's ripe for like expansion. Yeah. It's also based on a book that you can pull stuff yeah. from. Um, and I think that it's just like the, the opportunity there, cause the thing, Oh, sorry. One thing I didn't really bring up in our conversation is that Mary Poppins is, it, it fits in a, in a, a niche among Disney musicals of there's different ways that Disney can go about adapting works that don't have there that have non-human characters in them. 
Um, cause for some of them, like if either, if it's all humans or it's all not humans, you can just do it sure. with people and then, you know, you're good from there. That's, that's uh, Lion King and Newsies or that. And then you have the pieces that are partially human and partially non-human and Disney's solution in the stage adaptation is to sort of like kind of half it and like kind of maybe do some non-human yeah, and what yeah. that would be uh, beating the beast, Beauty and the beast, Tarzan and little mermaid or all that. But then you have the third category, which is basically Disney takes a movie that has non-human characters and Jen just like put, takes all the non-human characters out of it. Um, and that would be Aladdin and frozen, the exception of Sven. And then Mary Poppins is that because I would argue that the Jolly Holiday characters are non-human sure. because they are, sure. you know, they're animated. Um, and I think that Aristocats fits into that first category of it's like you got the one, we well, got two, you got two human characters, which you get the widow, the dowager woman, and then you have the guy Edgar who's trying to win the fortune. But every other character is a human, every, so I can mean, mean, do a lot. Well, of I guess like, a cats, yeah, every other human character is cats. Well, because you got the geese and you got oh, like, sure, there's a horse oh, sure, too, sure, sure. and there's, there's the animals, there's the right. mouse with the little creme de la creme de la. Yeah, it's like. Um, or is Edgar... No, Edgar's the mouse. What's the name of the... I scene? haven't I seen this film but, um, in years. I couldn't years. tell you. Okay, cool. I believe Edgar is the mouse. I don't know the name of the of the human servant who's the villain. But um, but I, there's a lot to be done in that musical that's like, maybe you do, like, you know, all the humans are puppets or something. Like, sure. they did that when they did... When they did Pinocchio right, in the National, yes. that was what they did. So it's like, maybe the humans are puppets and you... The rest of the characters, you know, you just... You just humanize the animal characters and suddenly you just... You're, it's almost like you could you could do the whole like extended um or not extended but um uh you scale up the set and then yeah. it's like you know you're, they're op, they're jumping around to this big old house set another house <laughs> Jesus um, also, but I do think like also you have the opportunity in in remaking it you have the opportunity to correct the racism yes, in it and to sure. make um make uh everybody wants to be a cat into the giant dance number that it obviously it's so wants good. to be it's a very and, fun song yeah. Um, I think that it would be a good one because it's not... I don't know who the score... Let me look that up really quickly because I don't want it to be the Sherman Brothers and I sound like an asshole. I think it uh, is. Um, uh, I, yeah, I, for some reason I thought the songs were the Sherman Brothers. Yeah, yeah, they were the songwriters, the Sherman Brothers. It probably is. Yes. Okay, yes. So that's the thing. It's another Sherman Brothers musical, but it's one in which I think that the songs are not quite... They don't have the kind of iconic status that, that Mary Poppins does. So I feel like it would be, like you could still hire a, a songwriter that wouldn't beat Stills and Drew or you could bring him back they're still writing sure and i feel like you could there's a lot you could do an adaptation to like find a way to expand that score and add musical moments to it because it is episodic like there's um there's a lot there i think there's a lot of as opposed to something like lilo and stitch where i thought like this is just the story that feels like it could sing very well i feel like um aristocats works for me because it's fertile ground it feels like it's a good place to build something new off of um and I mean, Robin Hood would that be that too? Although I do think that, that movie is just that movie works too well for me. I feel like you try to adapt it, and you start to run into the fact that like the character animation is really good in that movie. So then you have to deal with the fact that that doesn't yeah. translate. Sure. But Aristocats again, the moment you humanize everyone, like you know, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, yeah. So a few but, um, a few things. Uh, first off, great answer. Great great answer. Thank you. Uh, Edgar <laughs> Thank you. is is the butler. Edgar is the name of the butler oh. who is trying to get rid of the cats. Um, Ed, okay. Edgar Balthazar. Couldn't tell you what the name of the mouse okay. is. Uh, 
Edgar uh, is the name of the mouse. Excellent Roquefort. name. Uh, very okay. good mouse name. I, Excellent mouse name. I um, love mice course, characters named after Native It's cheese. very good. Yeah. It makes sense. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, Zach, I don't know yep. how you didn't even mention this in your uh, explanation of why this would make a good stage show. Cats have a great track record on good. stage. That's what I was going <laughs> to say. Yeah. <laughs> Tends to be when successful. I, when started, yes. When I started talking, when I started talking about <laughs> the uh, the scale of the set expanding, uh-huh. there was a little voice in the back of my head that said, "Don't mention cats. Don't mention cats. Don't mention cats." Um, because yeah, it's. I mean, it is different, and I don't think that it's quite as hot gossip as cats <laughs> is. But um, but um, but yeah. I mean, if you think about, yeah, it could work. Yeah. I think that that would be there, and then in in a similar vein to um, uh, oh actually no that doesn't no never mind that point ignore ignore that cut that out I don't know what I was I, I was about to make a point that was completely off um cats bring them back make them Aristo cats what if it's just says like it's just the cats logo and then just like Aristo in Genius marketing. Like, oh, oh, so see, Cats is back on Broadway. Oh, wait a second. So, it's a Disney show. That's such a good bait I mean, and switch. I, I love that. That would be genius. I will say there was someone, there was like a Twitter thread. You know, people will just like throw fucking questions on the Twitter because they're bored or they're like CIA psyops or whatever the fuck they are. Yeah. Um, they were just so like, I think there was a question uh, like the other week that was like, what is the best Broadway poster? Like, what is the best Broadway musical poster? And my answer was, I, 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 I was like, it, it is Cats. Like, it's Cats. I think Cats. I mean, it, like, it, it might be it's, Cats. It's, it's yeah. a, the dancers are in the letters, or in the it, eyeballs. Yeah. It's, in the eyes, it's, yeah. It's perfect. It's a black poster with two cat eyes, and the pupils are them dancing. That is all you need. It is yep. just, it yeah. tells you everything you need. It's a yep. brilliance. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, all the, all, everything that, I mean, if you thought that's Karen McIntosh, like right Jesus there. I know. Like, if you want to, if you want to talk about like the British, I mean, briefly, the British, the British invasion of the eighties, like the one thing that really useful theater group really knew how to do was like really effective posters. Yep. Cause you think about there's that there's the phantom mask, which incidentally is oh, not yeah. a half yes, mask I because know. they set the poster before they finished the costume. Whoops. Um, there's, but then there's also like, there's the Cosette in the Les Mis poster. There's the Miss Saigon arc yeah. thing with the sun. Um, and even Disney, like the, the current Disney trend, like you think of the Lion King poster, that's really yeah. distinctive. Like the beauty and the beast silhouette of the beast is that like, yeah. you know, call it what it is like good, bad, good or bad musicals, but the marketing on them is really yeah. good. Like, you know, and you see that echoed today in like, you know, that that negative space drawing of the Mormon jumping for sure. Mormon yeah. and like Hamilton's star thing. Like you, when you get a good logo on a musical, like a good logo, it doesn't, pack, you can ride it doesn't that come along years. every now and then. But when it comes, it's yeah, it's again, like say, oh, say what it's you will really about the, the shows. But like I, I love me a good uh, logo design anyway. Zach Barr, thank you so much for being here. Uh, yeah, this this drops uh, like beginning of August, uh, so it sounds like maybe mm-hmm. the next season of And Now They Sing will be happening. Maybe I don't know. Who knows? The first video, so I can I can say this: the first video of the next season of And Now They Sing, which was supposed to be Snow White, but I had to switch it because of. I am talking with someone about research materials and they haven't gotten back to me yet. Or at least they've gotten back to me. They've gotten back to me, but they've been like, you won't be able to get this out by August if you're waiting sure. for the thing you're waiting for. So 
by this point, the first video essay of the new series, which is about Katie Mitchell's stage adaptation of The Cat in the Hat. Great. Um, from 2009, has dropped by the time that you're listening to this. So you can go on YouTube and look at that up. Um, and then watch all the other videos as well. Um, but, um, but yes, the upcoming video will be about Snow White um, and the Disney uh, stage adaptation of that, which is deeply chaotic in a way that basically is just Disney didn't quite know how to do musical adaptations yet. Maybe it was a little too hand, maybe a little too hands off on their IP. Um, and also Snow White is just a bad thing to adapt. But anyway, I'm giving away my, my thesis. Um, so go watch the Cat in the Hat video. It's out right now. Go watch my uh, Snow White video. Watch for my Cat Snow White video to drop. Um, uh, if you are in the Chicago area, um, coming up soon in the end of September is going to be, there is a show at the Morton Arboretum um, that is a Robin Hood adaptation. I am uh, going to be co-directing yeah. that. Um, so go check that out if you're in the area. Um, also, uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at Admiral Zach Barr, both accounts. Still the best, um, still the best and, uh, name in the biz. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thank you. Um, look for my, uh, my co-production of Mary Poppins with John Doyle coming <laughs> in, uh, in 2022. Um, but yeah, watch, uh, video essay is the b- main thing that I have to plug because that's where you'll hear most of my, uh, my criticism as it stands currently. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, if you want to follow me on the socials, I don't know. I'm not <laughs> no, you're good. I, I, and I still stand by what I said last time. I still think you are the best theater video essayist in the biz truly i mean that from the bottom of my heart and from what i that's very from what i know of some of the things you will be covering on this next season uh there are some truly chaotic topics that you're going to be covering um and (laughs) it's i the the thing that's the thing that's worrying me as i as i pick topics for the next video essay because i don't have i don't have all of them picked right now i try to leave it kind of open so that like if something like, for example, a ratatouille <laughs> springs up out of nowhere, I can like slot yes. it in. But I do know that the last video of this upcoming season is going to be probably the most personal one I've done, um, maybe dangerously so. So, um, so look for that dropping somewhere in March or April. Um, uh, maybe the most dangerous video I've done. Da- wow. so, danger, 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 danger. Um, yeah. Either way. <laughs> Please go and watch Zach Barr's uh, videos, and now they sing on YouTube. Um, we'll have you back, Zach. I know there are. I we've talked. <laughs> I know what other episodes you want to be on, and we will get you on those episodes. Um, mm-hmm. Brand, I want to thank, as always, Brand Moorhead for producing and editing this show. I want to thank. Hey, you. go fly a kite. <laughs> there it is. I always think that that sounds like a like an insult almost. You know, <laughs> hey, you go. Why don't you go fly a kite? <laughs> Oh, go, go, Floyd, oh cut, All right, you know what? Fine. We got to end as we began. We got to end as we began. Thank you all for listening. I want to thank Emily Errington for our artwork. I want to thank <laughs> M. Moda. No, I'm going to do it. I can't do this. I want to thank M. Moda for yeah, jo- you, you got to give Emily, them actual names. Emily Harrington for our artwork, especially this season. I love what you've done with our logo this season. It means the world. Oh, I didn't know there's a new season. I didn't know there's a new oh, logo you'll this know. season. Yes, you'll exciting. see. You'll see it. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so jealous of the of the listener who can just look at their at their their phone or whatever and see the thing you're seeing something that i don't know i, I have no clue it's what a good planning. time uh, i want to thank m modaf and josh stanley for our kickoff theme song if you like the show be sure to rate us review us subscribe for future episodes wherever you get your podcasts follow us on instagram and twitter at movie the musical and if you want to support the podcast and get some bonus content 
uh, go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash movie the musical and consider becoming a monthly member. Um, don't listen to what I said in the Beauty and the Beast episode. Um, you've already heard uh, April, August 1st, we dropped our episode on the Toy Story Cruise musical and the Finding Nemo uh, theme park musical. And August 15th, we are dropping an episode about Annette, the the Adam Driver, Marion Cotillard oh, movie okay. musical, Annette. We're diving in. <laughs> it's gonna be a wild time. Uh, that's the show. Uh, stay tuned next week for Tarzan. Keep on singing. Pip. Keep on swinging Keep. on those vines. <laughs> Wee! Pip, pip. Go fly a kite. Yeah. Is this a bad time? Is this a bad time to mention that I've seen Tarzan on Broadway too? <laughs> <laughs>